0: Hello and welcome, barrel chasing business owners, to this episode of Barrels and Business. We aim to bring you an hour or so, depending on the waves. And I can tell you right now, I can see some glassy little barrels out the front of my house. So we'll see how we go, Dan. Uh, hour or so of entertainment around all things surfing, traveling tips for the surfers, and more importantly, the trials and tribulations of driving and growing a business. So, today I am super stoked to bring you one of my dear friends, oh, I just got goosebumps, one of my dear friends, Dan Carlin. Now, Dan is a serial entrepreneur, starting out as a solopreneur, you know, doing the, the PT thing back in the day before really growing and scaling a bricks and mortar business that was on the trajectory for being listed on the ASX. But then realizing that he needed to follow his passion in his heart and take that beautiful wife of his to Bali, where he now runs an online business for the last five years, Dan? Yeah. Five Five years. years. Yeah. And it is absolutely epic. So Dan is the co-founder and CEO of Invigorated Water. And we're going to talk a bit today around how he has found, you know, going deep on Amazon and launching that business, the issues with that, how do you really diversify your risk? I must say, Dan, though, is a lover of taking risks, so we'll go into that too. But first, Dan, we were just catching up before, and I was like, wait, let's catch up when we're live, because Bali, the season, what the fuck's going on, man?
1: Yeah, so um, we're Jade. First of all, thanks for having me. Good to be here. All of that stuff. Um, yeah, we're in wet season here in Bali, but it's just not raining. As you can see behind me here, this is this is the rice field out uh, the back of my house, and it's like blue skies, no wind, super nice, crazy hot because without the rain, it's just stinking hot. Um, but yeah, wet season hasn't really happened, um, which is awesome for surfing because it means we've. This time of year, I don't really surf much, but you know, got onshore winds and things, but it's actually small, glassy, pretty nice every single day, um, which is awesome for surfing, but uh, for Bali, it's, it's not great because the, the, we didn't have much of a wet season last year. So for two years in a row, there's not much water. And so in fact, the, uh, there's a little rice field just just over mm-hmm. my shoulder here, the sort of lowest part of the field, and it's, it's failed. It hasn't worked mm-hmm. because they just, the farmers haven't got enough water. So yeah. there are a bit parts of barleys with, without water and um you know especially for sort of villages and stuff where they you know have the sort of access that we do yeah. to stuff um yeah it could become a big problem so we're really hoping that um I, while i want the good ways i'd really love to see some big rain here in this next yeah month.
0: yeah i've um i've actually been seeing one of our friends monty's been at um brara and i know because you're down near the chango area that yeah some beautiful glassy ways and even one of my friends that's uh pt up at commune they've been still getting some beautiful waves, three, four foot and just killing it. What's What do you normally do in the wet season? Do you have to travel to another part of the island? Is there waves that you can yeah. chase when you've got to get wet?
1: Good question. So um, what a lot of guys do here in Bali is this sort of Canggu, sort of South Bali, this side of the airport, the western side of the airport, southwestern side. Um, it's It's awesome from basically, you know, March through till about October and then there's that sort of that that wet season and what a lot of guys do is they drive over the other side so you mentioned Karamas before that's really good wet season wave and that whole east coast of Bali is really good because when those winds turn around it's then offshore over that side so that's where a lot of people go but from my house in Perrennen it's like you know it's kind of an hour each way and so (laughs) an hour each way to fit in an hour or so two hour maybe surf Ah, uh, yeah. I, I don't really do it. So, for me, in wet season, um, I hit the gym, I do yoga. It's a good focused work period for me. We often travel in wet season, too, because it sucks, so <laughs> go there for a month and, you know, we tag team that. We're going to Europe because my, my wife, Monica, Norwegian, so we go to Norway and Germany quite a bit. And now, these days, with a seven-month-old baby, um, surfs that take me a long way away just aren't easy. So,
0: yeah,
1: I surf down the road. I love my local breaks right here at sort of Perenen, Echo Beach, Pantalima. These are my spots.
0: Yeah, you and you—you took me out there last time I was there, and I nearly drowned.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah um, look, there. When it gets big out there, like a lot of places around the world, when it gets big, it can be pretty heavy. Um, you know, they're breaking over. Uh, it's not coral reef, but it's kind of rock shelf. There's um, urchins. Yeah, 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 so it sucks if you do get caught in the inside and you end up up on those rocks. It it does suck a bit, but um, after a few years now, I'm sort of really getting to know these spots. What I do love about them is um, you've got these nice channels either side, left and right. So you don't really have to do much duck diving. The only time you really get caught is if you do if you don't make a takeoff and you get caught on the inside. But even then, kind of just get washed out into the channels and you're straight back out. So. Um, the only thing hard about that is when I go back to a beach break, um, I'm like out of breath from duck diving because I'm just not used to doing it that much here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just got to get that, fit, that fitness up and the arm strength of getting under them. Yeah. I do say the, one of my favorite first with you was actually out the front of... Um, was it Coup d'Etat where we had the crazy Italians out with us that day?
1: Yeah, yeah. That was out the front of Coup d'Etat in Semignac. Yeah, there's a, two breaks there. There's a, sort of a big uh out of break there, there all the sort of surf schools hang on but then there's that there's a closer one um that's a that's a nice sort of left and right that's a bit closer in and yeah that was uh it's where we used to surf a lot
0: mm. yeah that was the local wasn't it
1: yeah for me now to get down to Seminyak, like his brower and changu area has gotten so busy mm. uh, it's just again it's just so much of a mission and so you know two kilometers that way from my place i've got three or four really good breaks. So yeah, I'm, I'm lazy these days. I just stay local most of the time, <laughs> except for trips, except for going away.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. If um, someone was going to be traveling to Bali and wanted to avoid all the, the Bondi hipster tourists that are hanging around Canggu, but still get a decent wave in and be in a, a good area, where else would you recommend?
1: Yeah. So this, this area around me, so Pera is right next door to Canggu. Um, like, you know, we're talking a few rice fields and a couple of streets away. So it's not that far. Um, but the access to get to it, there isn't really like a shortcut through to it, you sort of got to go up and around onto a main road. And so it's kind of mean meant that this area is a bit residential. And so all along the beach in sort of Canggu, um, within sort of two k's of the beach, that's really that sort of tourist zone. But as soon as you go inland a little bit, so let's say five to 10 minute ride on your scooter, you're in beautiful sort of area where it's mostly residential where you get more for your money and all that kind of stuff and that's where we live we live on a house just a couple of couple of minutes back from the beach probably five minutes
0: a stunning villa mm-hmm. not just a house yeah yeah <laughs> a nice,
1: nice spot. but then if you go just past us there's all these great beaches like chumagi um and then even a little bit further to Kadungal. but it, everything's kind of keeps moving along the sort of southwest coast there and so those areas are quite good if you're coming over and just wanting to find some waves that weren't too crowded, yeah. um, not too much of that Canggu scene, which, you know, it's fun. There's bars and nightlife and all that's cool, but it does get tiring. Um, the other spot, though, of course, for, for me is the book here. I'd still love Balang and Bing and Uluwatu. Yeah, that whole yeah. spot there is cool. And I think it's um, I think it's kind of on the way up a lot in terms of, you know, they've got a lot of big venues now, like Omnia and Ulu Cliff House and these kind of epic venues, and they've always had great hotels, but they seem to be getting a lot more of the... Cafe level type stuff, and there's just better, kind of better services up there. And so I think a lot of people are actually moving up there. But yeah. I think you, you either want to move there and stay up there, or you live down this end because in the middle a you've mission.
0: got all <laughs>
1: the stuff. So it's two hours now to get up to Uluru from my house. It's a mission.
0: Jeez. And what season? What what time of year is good for Ulus?
1: Well, it, it works really well the same as as here. It's that whole wet season. So basically what they say here in Bali is after, um, their new year's, which or their silent days, they call nepi. That's neppy.
0: Sort of, I'll be there for nyepi this year.
1: Yeah. That happens mid sort of in March sometime. And usually yep. after that is kind of marks the end of the wet season. And that's when the the waves start turning on and you get the biggest stuff coming through and all that kind of stuff.
0: Do you think it'll be late though, with the season being the way it is?
1: It's hard to know. Look, the whole planet sounds like it's a bit messed up. Like, um, Monica being from Norway, we were there last Christmas and the whole city was under, you know, snow. You're crunch, crunching around on ice, whereas it's now February and they haven't even had a snowfall yet,
0: which wow. in a place like
1: that far north um, in Norway is unheard of. And so it seemed like, you know, and then back in Australia at Christmas, we were getting 20 degree days followed by 40s and it was all over the place. It's crazy. I think the whole planet's a bit messed up, to be honest. Hard mm. to know what's going
0: on. Yeah. I'll, um, I'm actually heading over. I'll be there for the end of March, um, running iLab, and then I'm going to speak at FreedomX, which is going to be up at Ulus. So that should be an epic time as well. So hopefully, be able to. <laughs>
1: What's
0: that going on? What's going on. So hoping to catch a catch a few smaller ways for me, because obviously I'm still the the budding surfer, not the uh, not the not the charging surfer. <laughs>
1: I don't know about that, Jade. I would say budding, but ballsy. I've been out with you and you've been <laughs> taking off on waves that I wouldn't look at. Um, so, yeah, Maybe you, I'm you, stupid. You do. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you said it on me, but,
0: <laughs> but
1: definitely ballsy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember being out at Changu one day and this guy just going, fuck, was that you taking off late again? He's like, you just, what are you doing? Yeah.
1: Just pitched over the falls yeah just whoo, yeah
0: uh, it's because it was when my paddle fitness wasn't so great so like I was still still getting back into surfing and the paddle fitness wasn't quite there so for me to get them I had to go late I
1: think yeah yeah, yeah. no well, I find also as as we're um as we're getting a little bit older you know I've been through sort of I didn't really actually start surfing until I got to Bali properly like I I'm 40 now and I started at didn't really get into it till I was about 20. And then I didn't really live close enough to a beach for the early part of my twenties. Then I did live in Sydney around the Eastern suburbs, like Bondi and all of that and Bronte for, for 10 years, but I was just more interested in my weight training and other stuff. So I didn't really surf. Yeah. It wasn't really until I got to Bali. Um, but I found that even here getting a little bit older now, it's not like my early days and skating where I would just throw myself off half pipes and whatever else. Now, I'm definitely a little bit more choosy on what waves I go for and I'll wait for the right ones with the right shape and I don't I'm not as risky in the surf as I used to be.
0: I actually just had a realization. I have you to thank for me getting back in the water. Do you know oh, really?
1: this? No.
0: So I obviously I surfed as a kid growing up at Evans Head, I rode longboards. We didn't have a car, so I only ever really surfed Evans. So paddle out by the wall, super easy, ride my longboard surfed in comps up and down the coast, but comps are pretty easy as well in terms of locations, like knowing where to surf, going out with a group, all that sort of stuff. And it was longboarding. And then when I first started my first couple of businesses at 21 up in Darwin, and I was up in Darwin for four and a half years, no surfing, then started running the recruitment firms through Sydney, Melbourne, didn't surf, got into my footy. And it wasn't until And I'd said I'd never go to Bali because I thought only the Bogans went to Bali. And you're like, come visit us. I'm like, ah. Then you're like, we're getting married. You don't have a choice. And that was my catalyst to go, you know what? When I go to Mon and Dan's wedding, I'm going to go into a surf retreat. I'm going to learn to surf again. And I'm going to get back into the water. And after that, I came back and decided to close my business, sell everything and move to the Gold Coast and travel the world.
1: Yeah. Being a surfer. Sure, sure. But no,
0: Bali <laughs> has that effect
1: on a lot of people though, actually. Like, um, I was a I started going to Thailand a lot when I was about nineteen through, through sort of my early twenties. And I was just Thailand, Thailand, Thailand. I must have done countless number of those full moon parties, that's more than I can <laughs> remember.
0: Copenhagen.
1: But yeah, so I did that so many times. But I I really wasn't attracted to Bali either until oh, I must have been early thirties or actually nearly mid thirties. It was like you know, we got here roughly five, six years ago. Um, the year before we moved over, um, I went on just a bit of a break because I was burnt out from my last business. And Monica went off somewhere else for, for some sort of like, I think it was um, awesomeness fest. Yeah, so. she,
0: she went to a fest.
1: a fest, Yeah. So I traveled to Bali and I just fell in love with it. I was, I was pretty novice with a surfboard and, you know, but just found, I really liked it. And I think Bali grows on people like that sort of, I guess that Kudasemaniac bit, yeah, you, you wouldn't want to live there. And even for a lot of people, that's not their idea of a holiday. There's a lot of stuff going on, but oh, it's man. it's not that relaxed. Long. And so once you get out and about, like we lived our first few months, as you know, out on New Lembongan, which is the island, just half and man. half the coast. And
0: that, love, that was awesome. I love New Lembongan, and... Every time I get there, I, well, at least when I run by, with iLab, I always make sure that we take the participants to, to New for the middle weekend, just so I can go and get, get in some snorkeling and try and get a wave at play, playgrounds and it's just, yeah, yeah,
1: I love it. I actually haven't been back to Lembongan in the five years because what happens in Bali, like obviously because of in the early days of for us, um, the visa requirements mean you're coming and going. Out in and out of Bali a lot. We had different types of visas and things. And so you, you, you'd have to travel a fair bit anyway. And so you never really travel around Indonesia much. Like we found that we're always traveling. We are obviously going to be family in Australia and Europe, but then also trying to go on other travels ourselves because we're being on travel. Um, we didn't really actually go back to many places. It was, only, it was only about two years ago around when we got married that uh, I think we caught it one year, a year of Indo, and we actually... Went on a bunch of trips. We went down to Rote we went to West Sambara, I went to the Mental eyes and I sort of did all of that stuff. But it's funny, it's very easy to stay in this little bubble of in Bali bubble. and go that far. It's um Ooh. time just goes.
0: You know what I'm like. I, I get up to Gynier or to Karamis and cannot I end up living a commune for an entire month and not even getting out and visiting you guys. I just like get in the bubble. Yeah. Especially it's if kind you're of easy to stay at, at Commune for a month. Yeah, though.
1: down and you're busy, you know, it's also, you know, it's always a lot going on.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so tell me a little bit more about the boards you're on at the moment. I know you've got a new board, right? A new Chile? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So I guess the, the board discussion for me, is it's been an interesting thing, actually. So what seems to be the thing here, particularly, I don't know if it's other places, but particularly in Bali, there's sort of this thing about, getting on smaller and smaller smaller boards <laughs> so, when I first got over here I was riding kind of a pretty fat kind of fish set up twin fish and, and it was cool um uh, pretty retro styling and then I was like okay I want to start learning how to turn better and surf better so I went some more sort of typical performance shape and I kept trying to drop each year dropping like an inch and a liter and just dropping a bit of volume and a bit of size and tighter rails and Narrower shapes and just kind of kept doing that for a while, but I found that I, my something wasn't really improving that much. And my one thing that definitely wasn't improving I was only feel like my wave count per session was going up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, "What's going on?" And I went on uh, my first mental eye trip um, eighteen months ago, uh, and when I was on that, um, I'm just getting a little message here saying our oh, internet's unstable, but hopefully, hopefully it holds up. Um, you probably Internet, couldn't see I love it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> went to the mental wise, um, and they had surf coaches and stuff. And we went out and I was riding. So I'm, a, I'm about 85 kilos and I was riding a board that was 6'0 so, um, and 29 liters. And that was kind of what, if you look at all the sort of calculators and all the board shop kind of places, that's kind of for my, my level of surfing and my weight and height and all that, that should, should be what I'm riding. And what the surf coaches noticed was they were like, "This board's just too small for you." And I was like, "Really? I can, and I could surf it." But they were like, okay. "You know, you can surf it." They said, "But what's happening is you're having to, you're taking off super late." They said, "You're basically having to drop into pretty vertical." You know, you're taking off really late because you just haven't got enough volume to get in mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah. They said when you jump up, you're getting right forward on your front foot, and so you're leaning a lot of your weight forward, which is also what you do on a snowboard. Which I've done a lot of, so I'm kind of naturally geared that way. And I think even skating is pretty neutral in front. Yeah. Um turning. And I would I could charge down the line of a wave, so I was pretty quick. But in terms of doing nice turns, when I watched videos myself, I looked really upright, really straight, and kind of looked like I could twist and move. And I was like, what's going on here? And the guys basically said, Yeah, look, I think you're fine if you went a couple of inches longer, a couple more liters. They said, You're gonna paddle better, you're gonna get into that wave a little bit earlier. You're going to be able to set up and know where you're going to go, and so that's kind of what led me to the board that I just bought, uh, wow. six months ago now. Um, but yeah, I basically went to, onto a the board I just bought was a uh, it's called a Chili Rare Bird. It's kind of Chili's kind of go to that's been around I think for about twenty years. It's kind of there all around So it's not like super high performance. I uh, think they, they might even call it a Groveler for smaller waves. But I'm surfing some pretty big waves here, and it, and it's great. It loves it. Um, and what I like about it is it's, uh, so it's six two, six two, six three? no, six, two. Yeah. It's six, two, but it's 33 and a half liters. So I've gone up four right. liters or so Which, in surfing terms is like a lot of guys are like, Oh my gosh, that's huge. That's such a massive board. You're going to feel it under your feet. But because the board has got this nice round pin tail, it's quite narrow. Yeah. I'm finding getting on my feet way earlier. So I'm feeling a lot more confident dropping into the wave. And then because of that, I'm standing back on the board way more, front foot and back foot.
0: It's got more pivot then.
1: That bottom turn, I'm just finding my turns are just flowing. I'm getting more waves. And so, yeah, like my one and only, like, and I'm pretty sort of average surfer, I'd say, Jay, but that would be my one and only tip is too many guys are chasing these tiny boards and it's this, you know, let's barrel focus, like the name of the podcast the reality is for the most people out there, you're not catching barrels. You just want to become yeah. a better surfer, waves. So yeah, I would, I would go up a bit on what, what um, the pros ride. Yeah, that's, sure.
0: that's great advice. That's super great advice. Let's just touch a bit more on the coaching though. So we know in business, we know in lots of other areas of our life, in our fitness training, we go out and we get a coach to help us perfect our form, perfect what we're doing, have a look at our mistakes but I don't see that many surfers seeking out like in that even intermediate level, a coach to help them. What, how did you find it? Where was it in the mental eyes and what's your advice to say an intermediate level or even an advanced level that they do?
1: Yeah. Well, I think like a lot of people here in Bali, because there's so many good local surfers and there's so much surf culture and there's so many, surf schools and it's super affordable to have surf coaches, here, you know, like it's in most places around the world, it costs you a lot more to get surf lessons. So, but I think a lot of people do it at that sort of super beginner stage. People are all open for it. But then I think there's something that happens a bit later where I don't know whether it's our ego or ego
0: whatever,
1: yeah. you don't need it. Um, and to be honest, I'm one of those, like I didn't really have it in Bali this whole time. And if I, if you said to me, do I want to coach tomorrow? I probably wouldn't think about it. But on this Mensawai trip, I went to... I'm actually drinking out of the water bottle. There's Wave Park.
0: Oh, Wave Park. Yep.
1: And that's where I went. And Wave Park, what I liked about it was it's, um, it's a land camp, so you're not out on a boat with 10 <laughs> other guys that stink after a couple of days. <laughs> and um,
0: if you don't like uh, one of them who keeps dropping in on you, you fucking yeah, with them.
1: Yeah. I also don't have, like, tons of surfing buddies that... Everyone that I know is either, you know, they're busy with family or business or whatever. And so to actually get a group of guys to commit and pay. And then people have got different amounts of money. So there's different types of boats. Yeah. So what I did, I got one buddy, we went to wave park. It's 10 days. They basically just do 10 days back to back all year long. They are booked out like months in advance. They're really good. Um, run by a guy called Christie and his wife. And they, they basically, um, he found the Island like 20 years ago. Cause he was working on boats and stuff. So he's one of the, sort of the original, he's American, one of the original dudes to kind of get into that area. And he's leased, an island, and he's basically built six or so bungalows, and each bungalow has um, two surfers in it. So you've got twelve people on this yeah. whole island, and right out the front is a world class left tender and I'm a goofy, so I love lefts. Called Hideaways. That's pretty much.
0: Hideaways cons- gets a little scary.
1: Yeah, but it's like <laughs> even when it's like it's pretty much head high plus all the time, and so yeah. it's it's only so if you if you're just learning, it's probably not the place. Um that a lot of the That's that, where they took
0: me to paddle out like the first time like we first pulled up and the mental eyes. I'd been taken there for my birthday so I could get waves. I'm a natural yeah. as well. Yeah. And yeah.
1: It's a pretty it fast. Looked okay
0: life. to start off with paddle out next minute. I'm like, there's the shelf. What the fuck?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's super shallow. Um what what they did though at Wave Park, which was quite cool, was so first of all, because it's a bit more, it's a little bit more expensive. I, I can't remember what they charge, but it's a few thousand US for for the ten days, and it's all inclusive. It's your food and everything. But
0: nope, not bintangs. Of, though. hey, bintangs are not included.
1: No, that's not included. You end up spending about a few thousand in bintangs as well. But I drank um, hundred
0: bintangs during my ten days. A hundred <laughs> at three US dollars a can.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's up because um, everything's got to get taken out there. But basically, they um. The, the rooms were amazing and what I loved was we were doing two surfs a day, I'd like go for the super early one and chill out a bit and then after lunch go out again. And some days you get a third one in, but for the most part for me two was enough because it was a couple of hours each session and you got there 10 days, you know, like for me it's enough. Um, but what was cool about it was, you know, after you surf, you come back to, to gra- dry ground, have a shower, yeah. you can yeah. walk around a beautiful island. There's, a, there's like, you know, so it's an awesome place to stay. But the guys, what they do there is they hire a couple of surf coaches um, that I think they do like a deal where these they're, they're, they're good surfers from all over the world. That basically, I, I think they get to stay there. They might get paid something, but yeah. for the most part, I think they're getting a free holiday. And all they got to do is teach people like us how to how to surf a bit better. Um, and to be honest, it was probably one of the best things I've ever done in terms of surfing education because the guys were, you know. I guess, again, it's a bit of a maturity thing, when I'm at that stage where I'm like, the ego's not there. I'm not trying to prove anything. I just want to get better. So I'm open. Tell me, you know, and I'm happy to learn from other guys that have that know a lot more than I do. And so this was, this was great. I got some really good tips. You got drone footage. You got other video footage. And watching yourself back and then having discussions with good surfers really helped me understand the way I surf, what I need to do. And all I've really worked on this year was getting on my back foot more, bending the knees, actually slowing down like when you stand up and drop into that wave that adrenaline's charging and you have that tendency to want to just race so it actually go take a breath turn take your time and just and that's changed my whole outlook with surfing lately it's been good i
0: have the exact opposite problem obviously i just like to drop late no i i think from riding a longboard so much i am all weight on the back foot so sometimes it skates out from underneath me and like and I, I think from being out of the water so long, my fear. I'm still looking down and, and not looking across the face of the wave when I'm taking off, so I'm taking the drop. But I was also so used to, like my my signature move was the big drop knee bottom turn. So I'm getting to the bottom way too early and too deep, and then trying to bottom turn, and and then I'm getting especially sorry somewhere like Karamas, um, where you just got to raise like fuck. And even then, then I and the I wave. just get fucking swallowed. Um, yeah, yeah. So for me, I know the, the key things I need to work on is just looking down the wave, looking down the line, getting, I actually have to get the weight more di- equally distributed and, yeah. and staying a bit higher uh, on the wave to keep that speed up. So that was big things for me. And one key thing I learned, I watched some YouTube videos the other day. Um, this was great surf coaching. Like I just didn't even think like, just a couple of things on like how to get barreled. Cause this is my, my goal this year is to get proper barreled, not just like a little bit of shade and then cleaned up. Um, and it was like, okay, got which way you're going natural and goofy and things like that. Like the weight distribution onto the toes to dig the rails in so that you don't skate down. And obviously backside, my, my new favorite thing to do is to just take off pig dog and grab rail and hope for the fucking best. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm finding when it's steep and bigger, I'm actually more comfortable going left as a natural and, and grabbing the rail than I am going right. And I'm more natural to look over that shoulder and just jump and, and grab it. So I've been trying to get down to Deba a couple of times and practice on the steepies uh, <laughs> before I get to
1: Karamas. So I should be going over that side and surfing rights because that's one of the things that's hard here in Bali is, this, this, side of the, this side of the book hit, basically from Uluwatu all the way down through here. There's, there's a few rights, but it's dominated by lefts. And because yeah. I love... Yeah, yeah oh, you just, I just surf left basically all the time. And so the opportunity, even if it's there, I don't take it. Whereas I think um, I'd like to do another mental wide trip. And the trip that I did, actually, we had really shitty wind conditions. And so we stayed a lot at that home break um, hideaways. But I think what I'd love to do is go back and, and do some more trips around different parts of yeah. uh and other places, but try and get myself into some rights because, yeah, I've just never, I'm, I, I think I'd feel a lot. Um, yeah, it's just I just need to get my confidence up with it, just haven't done it really.
0: Yeah, not. yeah. I um, we stayed at a really good land camp as well, which was Batik Resort. I think we only had eight to ten people. Yeah, on out and we had the whole island it was just us on the island and it's super quick i think it was like 10 minutes to hideaways yep, uh, on the yep. boat so that that was really cool but yeah pretty much everything the guys were hitting were left, like ebays and even for me like like i could go to bang bangs and <laughs> it was yeah. about bang about bang.
1: it it's a fun way but that's where we had like a what they called a charging boat and a chill boat. And so there was, it was kind of a, a real mixed group of surfers. And so yeah. the, the charging boat was kind of going to more of those sort of spots. And then Bang Bangs was one of the go-tos for the for the slower group. But I got Bang Bangs on a, on a bit of a bigger day. And it was awesome, actually. I had some, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's not as hollow and it's not that classic mental, I think, quite as much, but it's still a beautiful left that runs along a reef. And yeah. you get quite a few turns in. It's a good ride, yeah.
0: And you still get worked if you're on the inside. we had yeah. um a It'll session that I had there, yes, we had two guys um get cleaned up there, and we had to go pick them up uh around it it's out, uh around at eBays because the boards got smashed, they got stuck on the beach, they're like completely broken, and it wow. didn't it I was out there, and I was doing okay, so it wasn't a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> it evidently turned out to be pretty bad. <laughs>
1: Doesn't take much to go from good or to
0: bad.
1: You know. <laughs> yeah, with hideaways, you can be out there, and I've got I've got photos of me like on the wave, and you can actually see rocks sticking out of, up out of the water in front of the wave, like not far. And thought it I was there when I was there, and but I was just and the surf coaches are pretty good at just kind of pushing you a little bit, but I was just going for it, and I was I guess I was lucky. I kind of made more waves than I didn't, but the ones that I didn't make. Um, yeah, I sort of, I tapped rocks a few times and got a yeah. few dings in the boards and in me, but yeah, you could, it's easy to see how all it would take is a good smack on the head or yeah. when it gets, like some of the guys, you know, like there's, there's definitely a certain size that I would just be tapping out and watching. And some of the guys are just, you know, kamikaze out there.
0: Well, nearly everyone that we, we came on a changeover period at our camp. So we had a group that was there and then left and a group that came and nearly everybody ended up with stitches. Or a broken board. I ripped the fins out of one of my boards. um, And it was super lucky. They rang a guy, a Kiwi guy, who turned up on a boat, picked up my board, took it, did the best sting repair ever. Like, put my fins back, fin box back in, fixed it all up, got it back to me in a day. And it was better than the repair job I get here on the Gold Coast. And it was fuck all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, any chance of a demon repair? And they're like, yeah, we'll make a call. Dude, will come pick it up. I'm like, amazing, perfect, epic. Um, random question for you because this is something I really struggle with, and I don't even know. You probably don't even wear sunscreen. I'm looking for reef-safe sunscreen that you know doesn't clog your pores and isn't shit that you can wear for three hours. I like I got. I got crispy fried two weekends ago at, um, North Stratty and I'm still okay. struggling. I'm still burnt.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, you're right. So most of the time I don't wear sunscreen because I go, I'm like, I'm a super early guy. So usually I'm standing down the beach stretching while it's dark, waiting for first light. And then I'm out there okay. cause it gets crowded here and I get in early plus busy during the day. So, and I just love that super early. Time and let's be morning.
0: honest, it's because of your anxiety of getting to your desk.
1: A little bit of that, a little bit of that, which we can touch on in a minute. But um, and then at the other end of the day, like the sort of sunset session, that's sort of the other time I might go. So rarely am I surfing in the middle of the day. But when I was when I did that Men's trip and some of the other Indo trips, where you can surf right through the middle of the day and it's just roasting out there. Um, I've tried wearing hats. I hate it. So I've just I just don't. Um, you know, I was doing long sleeve rash shirts and all that sort of stuff. But I did have a good. I can't remember the name though. I did have a good sort of clear, sort of thick, quite thick zinc that I was putting on that worked pretty well. Can't remember the name.
0: That's right. If you remember it, we'll drop it in the show notes. I've been been using the surf mud and the surf yogis, but I have a thing with zinc, um, actual high, anything that's high content zinc um, does something to my skin. It almost like it burns my skin just being on. Like if I wear that brand Invisible Zinc, I literally look like I'm blistered, and oh. yeah, it's yeah, it's like better yeah, better be better off being sunburnt. So I'm seeking seeking tips. Actually, we're gonna have on the show um, Maximilian, who is the founder of Swox um, sunscreens, and they're reef safe. I haven't tried them yet, so I told him before I get him on, I'm gonna have a crack at the um, sunscreen. But if anyone's listening, send us through your tips and advice, reef safe, natural. Uh, and th- something that you can get at least three out of cool awesome so let's let's switch gears let's let's talk that was a segue before with uh, your anxiety to your desk because <laughs> uh, dan Dan is deep work Dan, and uh, I know that he can get into his little cocoon and when he's in in mode it's like it's actually like grizzly bear dan it's like that beard is is a tell of him, it 's like ah i 'm working. Talk, talk yeah. to us. Talk to us about um, some of your strategies for being productive, but what you've also started to implement so that you have a bit of balance.
1: Yeah, well, that's a it's a really good one, um, and it's a huge question too. So. Um, as you know, Jay, like my, my previous business that I started when I was 30 was my first kind of real big business. And so that was a, a corporate health and medical center type business um, based in Sydney and then and then grew around Australia. That I pretty and much
0: paid the rent for because I was in there four times a week. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, and so yeah, look, it, it was a bit of a um, baptism of fire and I've always been super driven. I love going after massive goals and I've, I've always been like that. Um, But it's kind of a blessing and a curse because I've got this amazing work ethic, which I got from my dad. He's just, you know, I watched him for my whole life and kind of just that's the way you do things. And so I've always worked super hard um, and always gotten what I wanted as a result. And so, you know, I've always put it in and I don't mind and I still like, you know, putting in the work, not quite as much these days, but, which I'll tell you about, but um, but it did, it did completely burn me out. So I, as you know, I got a few years into that past business and, just melted down. I, I took my investors and things really earlier and, and had a board that was kind of just, you know, amazing bunch of people that just pointed me super hard at stuff. And I being young, just, and keen, just went after it and it was fine, but it's not sustainable. And so, you know, I was working crazy hours and then my only outlets were things that were pushing my adrenals. Like I'd loved everything fast, whether it was fast, was partying girls, you know, everything goes with all of that. You know, it was, it was, it was pretty wild. And I didn't really do anything that was slow. I didn't really take time out. Didn't really spend much time reflecting on anything. You know, the coffee I drank was super strong. Drinks was straight bourbon. You know, everything was just full <laughs> on. To
0: the time. extreme.
1: So, to the max, yeah. Force the wall
0: or nothing at all. I think that's yeah. why we became friends, right? <laughs> that's how yeah. I was living at the time too.
1: Good spirits there. And so, yeah, but it, but it totally burnt me out. And then fast forward, you know, huge trials and tribulations with our business and then... Um, basically, um, Monica, who I'd met in Spain had moved to Australia for a few in years. Yeah. Yeah. We met in Spain, Ibiza. Um, but then she, um, she came to Sydney and she didn't really like Sydney, didn't really fit for her. Um, I loved being around that sort of Ace and suburbs. I loved it, but I also felt like it had a bit of an expiry date, you know, I sort of I felt like I'd done my time there. So Mon and I wanted to, um, basically be more location interdependent. We wanted to just be able to be wherever we if that's sort of to we wanted to be more free of where we were um having a service industry business like i had where it was you know i was dealing a lot with big corporates and, and b2b type selling but i was also dealing with doctors and a lot of these sort of health practitioner types with massive egos and staffing issues and being in a sort of a mainstream western country like australia um you know you've got all of the, you know, the work cover and the workers comp and insurances and the this and the that and HR issues and all of that stuff. I kind of went, man, I just want to a product business You know, I want to do something where I, I've got a product and sure there's still a team, but the focus is the the product. And that's really what, um, and I sort of set out, set out to do. Um, so we'll get, I guess we'll get to that in a minute, but the question around, I guess the sort of balance, I guess a bit and the anxiety, uh, it's hard because I set such massive goals for myself. Um, I've got this innate drive that I've got. I need to work. I need to work. I need to work. I need to work. And every time I set a new goal, I go, once I get here, here I'm going to chill out. And what happens is I get there and then I set the next goal and, and the chill out part never happens. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, after going through a couple of major burnouts where I basically couldn't function, ended up medicated, therapy, you name it, I've been through all of that stuff. Um, where I am now, I guess in life, also being forty, new dad, it's kind of been a bit of this midlife crisis zone at the moment. Um, what I've sort of found now is I've, I've figured out what work style works best for me, and that's kind of being locked in a padded room. So basically, this <laughs> this room is my my man cave. It's a, it's our third bedroom, and it's 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 the furthest from everything else in the house. And I just lock myself in here, and so I find that. Um, I, I work a lot better if I'm just completely alone. So something like a co-working space is my worst nightmare. So for me, being here is really good. And then the other thing that works really well for me is big chunks. So I'm good if I get four or five hours first thing in the morning to myself, get a lot of stuff done. And then after that, then I'm available for my team or I don't have to work anymore in the afternoon. And, and as, as time's gone on now, business is at a point where my team basically can run the whole business uh, on an operational level everything that I'm doing is kind of strategy and planning and, you know, just steering the ship really. So I could, I could be working very little if I want, but it's that drive. It's
0: not in you. It's still just there not in me. you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I know that you're quite strict. You've really designed your day and given the team rules of when Dan is available as well, rather than um, being reactive and like, like sitting down at the desk and, letting all the shit come in, you you've you've pretty much programmed not only your external team but your wife <laughs> and your friends when they come to visit of w- what mode you're in when to make sure that you can be in that productivity zone. Is that right?
1: Pretty much. So um we have a we have a, a team that's scattered all around the world. So there's about 15 of us and they're everywhere. So we've got a few in the US, a few in the UK and Europe. We've got a core sort of group in the Philippines. Then our suppliers and stuff are all in China. And so we've got this people kind of spread around everywhere. But yeah, what I've done is a few things. In, in the early, like, so I have, like any sort of business, I have sort of core um, sort of three main managers and I meet with them every week, once a week. And what I've sort of trained them to do, because one of the things that happens with a with an international team like that, we're not all in one office is over time as the business grows, the amount of email exchange is just insane. Like I could open my email in the morning and all of a sudden it's, And when I mean morning, like early six o'clock, all of a sudden it could be midday. My whole day has been just sideswiped by everyone else's stuff and team needing things from me. So what I've sort of trained the team to do is um, we've got an agenda for each person, um, basically like a laundry list, like a to-do list pretty much. And every time they think, oh, I need something from Dan or I need this or I need that, If it's not something that they need within 24 hours, they just put it in that list. And then when we have that weekly catch up, we run through their agenda. And it it sounds like a pretty simple thing and it is, but it took ages to actually get people to switch from just me being available all the time, especially when it used to be a team of three or four. But as we've gotten to this sort of bigger team and I've wanted to work less and I've needed to be, I guess we had a really tough year in business last year and I need to be, um, I need more think time rather than just being doing and solving lots of little, uh, my job for the last couple of years felt like I was just the guy who jumped in when i put out fires, but there'd be so much of that stuff that now I really just want to, I, I need, I actually need it. I need more time just to think and strategize, which means a lot of time by myself. Um, it's kind of just figuring out what's next. And so, yeah, I've put a lot of those, I guess, boundaries in place and, and Monica and I, um, so Monica basically does our product development. Uh, she, she comes up with the ideas and gets products basically ready to go into production. And then I kind of um, completely run the business. And uh, she's, I can actually see Monica outside walking in with a great yes. Yes.
0: yes, say
1: hi, Mon. I'm on a podcast right now with Jade. <laughs> but, hi. Um,
0: hi. So hi, I can see you.
1: <laughs> She can come around here, Monica. No, you sort of can stick your head in front of the camera there. Hi, everyone.
0: Uh, (laughs) You're making me want to go get my green juice. I left it in the fridge. I was going to top you up. (laughs)
1: There
0: you go. That is amazing. What's in the green juice, Mon? Uh, It is an alkalizing power power green. So there's um, kale, spinach, cucumbers, um, ginger, what else did I put in? Loads of good yeah. stuff. Lo- it loads That's, of green. That sounds exactly like mine. Mine's spinach, cucumber, celery, ginger, and lemon. And it's an alkagizer.
1: And yeah, yeah. as you know, we're all about alkaline, so it kind of goes <laughs> with our brand. It, it works perfectly. I was just telling him on that you're the... Jade was asking me about how I sort of structure my day so that I don't get too anxious and also so that the business runs well and all of that. And I was sort of saying, you're on the product development side and I'm sort of, I guess, in that more CEO role running operations. And um, what we find is for the most part, Mon and I stay out of each other's way. Eighteen months with Mon being pregnant and having a baby. She's not working much in the business at all at the moment. But what we've found is for work and also for our relationship we're totally different on how we operate um, and how our days run and everything. And so what we find works well is we pretty much leave each other alone in the mornings. So she does what she wants. I do what I want. And then afternoon is more sort of time where we'll ask things of each other and then it's family time Mm -hmm. and all of that. That works well for us. Yeah. It took a long time to. (laughs) Um,
0: If we had more, and actually we might do another cast with you guys, if that's okay. And go into a little bit of the dynamics of not just, um, working together as a relationship, but working together, um, as co-founders with the different energies, because I, I know you both really well. And I, and coming from the wealth dynamics background and understanding the profiles, it makes such a difference when you can understand that different people get flow differently and respect how each other need to gain energy and what draws energy and how to set up. And I think that can work both with couples in business, but even just normal business partners when your genius zone is different, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, we'd be happy to do that. Like, Mon, Mon, Mon has such a different perspective <laughs> on things too. So it's kind of, yeah, we could talk for hours. So let's do another one. with Yeah. The let's, yeah.
0: Let, let's do a specialty one. We definitely are, even though we're really different, it, I think it's the, the combination really makes it work. Oh, 100% with from from looking at your business from an outside and and being privileged to watch it grow from from the very beginning knowing that if it wasn't for your two different uh energy types and perspectives invigorated water wouldn't be what it is and where it is like with mon's creativity and ability to to do the research and create those products and really dive deep in that like you you can't you can't expect that someone that's in that zone of genius can do that real driving of the business, that marketing, the detail, the analytics, the, all the back end that's gone into say Amazon and the new platforms. And likewise, someone like Dan driving the business and, and being in that zone, there's no way you could flip gears and get to where you've got in such a short period of time. You might get there eventually, but the scale and, and like, I, I just can't believe how well you guys, well, I can because I know you, but, if anyone looking from outside would to to know what you've achieved in in that short time frame, despite the odds and against the the issues that you've had, is just it's so inspiring and it's it's uh, for me it's it's really touching and it's one of those one of those businesses I really want to share with the world.
1: I'm mm, happy to Thank share. You. So, all right, should I get all back right. to this call? I'll,
0: you- <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'll call you later, Mon. <laughs> Thanks, wifey.
1: Thanks for the green.
0: If I if I go turn my camera off, I've just raced to the fridge to get my alkalizer yeah, <laughs> yeah. rather yeah. than my giant cup of coffee. Yeah,
1: that's awesome though as well. I've done uh, I've done two of those already. Mm. Actually, I didn't bring my coffee down here with me. There you wifey,
0: go, wifey. Wifey. Right, that's
1: but- so good. I'll, st- I'll stick with the green juice <laughs> now. I'm doing well. Oh.
0: Uh, I uh, I snuck out for a surf this morning. Uh, it was really sharky looking. There's been a um, four metre great white cruising our coastline from the new um, artificial reef. They're surprised that a shark came in, like they build an artificial reef, like, and it's cruising from the artificial reef up to the alley. And this morning it looks sharky as shit. So I waited till there was more warm bodies in the ocean, which put me back. So my coffee's been, thank God, hot in this cup since nine.
1: <laughs> it's
0: currently two. <laughs> I've got a dog wanting to go out. There you go. All right. Okay. So, where were we? So, Mon does your product development. Your drive in the business. let Yes. Yeah. Give it. Give it another. Like obviously, you've got a distributed workforce, global workforce. You've got everything from full time employees to contractors and agents and everything. What are the the few of the say technology tools that you use to to run the business?
1: Yeah. So I guess probably a good start. So people kind of get where it is. Is Why don't I give you this sort of one minute high level kind of that sort of journey, how we sort of, I get because then, then you sort of understand all that stuff around it. Um, so in short, like I said, we wanted a products business. Um, we didn't really know how to get started. We hadn't done one before. Uh, I watched a webinar on how to make a million bucks on Amazon. And I'm sure everyone has seen You get now, now on Facebook, you are constantly getting stuff in your feed about people telling you how to make squillions on Amazon. And I did one of those early stage back in 2014, Amazon was already really firing already by then, but it was still relatively early. Um, And it was great. Actually, It did a course and it taught us how to, um, you know, do the research to figure out what might be good products to, to go after, um, to get an idea of sort of the volume and the market and all of that, and then go out looking for. Um, sourcing those products. And so it was really, I liked the model because it was basically proving to yourself first that there was a market, not just you coming up with an idea and going, I think I should do this. And <laughs> I think it's cool. So a million other people will, you actually went out and proved that there was a market there. Um, Cause it's all based on, you know, search algorithm on app, on Amazon, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we were white labeling products. So you're eventually going and finding a supplier, making a few tweaks, slapping your logo on it and selling it. And that's how we started. And we launched on Amazon.com um, back in 2014 in December, like right before Christmas, which is the awesome time on Amazon. That's always, you know, it's Christmas time. And we launched our first alkaline water pitcher, which is like a Brita jug, but with a better filter in it, plastic thing. Um, and we launched a couple of other products and they both just, they, well, all the products sort of just took off and we just started making money and we're like, this is great. It's easy. And um, then about six months later, the business had scaled really quite quickly um, and we got our asses kicked. We had a quality control issue with a product and that nearly sunk the whole business. And at that point, Mon and I went, okay, let's, we got to get serious about what are we doing here? And that was when we sort of decided, all right, we really want to focus on, um, on, on filtered water Uh, or water filters, I should say, not not bottled water. Um, And we really wanted to build a brand around that. We got a lot more focused on building our uh, own products from scratch. So now on Amazon, if you were to try to do that white label model where you're just buying products and putting your own label on it, pretty hard to, um, to, to do well at that now because there's so much competition, there's so many copycats. China themselves now sell on Amazon so they can do lower prices than you can. And so it's very hard to do margins so that it's super important these days to actually have a strong brand and really, really good products. Um, And those fundamental things, they were always there, but it was easier before. Now you really sort of need that stuff. So what we did was we really expanded across the Amazon platform um, in all different countries uh, across that first couple of years. Um, And at the same time sort of had our own website and, tried a few other things, but really Amazon was the main part of the business. And very quickly you feel very much, um, as our main sort of distribution channel, I guess, main sales channel, but very quickly you feel super exposed and a lot of risk. Is what happens with Amazon is you, you're just trying to keep up with it. So to give you an idea, like, you know, in our first year, I don't have the numbers in front of me now, but in our first year, I think we, I think we might have, been selling, you know, we we were like a few hundred products a month. Now we sell well over 10,000 products every single month. And so that scale, when you, you know, we started the business with 10,000 bucks and so to go from 10,000 us to, you know, a very, very high volume in sales, um, you know, turning over a lot of money to actually keep up with those inventory demands is really hard. Keeping up with Amazon's really hard. And then there's a thousand other things that that come off the back of that. Um, We basically decided that, you know, we need to build our own sales channels. And so over this last two years, we've really focused, last year in particular, we're really focused now on building um, other platforms. So we're we're on Walmart, eBay and Sears and we're on all these different platforms. But then most of all, we're really working hard now to build our own channel, which is built on the Shopify platform. Can Um, you
0: share what what was the real catalyst for that? Because all the eggs were kind of in that one basket. You had a shit ton of in- inventory sitting on some shipping containers. What was the, like obviously you were aware of it and you felt exposed and you knew, and I know that you had started trying to build a website and there was the things, but what was that real, I know you went yeah. through some dark times last year. Like
1: oh, I'm, happy to, I'm happy to share. So um, in the, So every year there was pretty much every year there was one, at least one event that was kind of like getting our asses kicked um, where it was something that you couldn't foresee something had just come out of the blue and it would really take knock, knock, knock the wind out of you a little bit. Because what would happen was whenever, whenever you launch a product, you need to already have the second order being produced because if you sell through that inventory too fast and there's no more inventory on its way, you then go off Amazon and your ranks drop, and all of that effort you do to get ranked and positioned on Amazon just goes away if you go out of stock. So it's this kind of game on Amazon where you you just never ever want to run out of stock at all costs. But if you have a product that's selling, let's say three units a day, it can go to like thirty units a day very quickly. And so if you had only a thousand units of that product and you forecasted that's going to last me three months, so I can place an order in two months. That won't happen. What'll happen most of the time if your product's good and you know and you're good at the marketing and stuff, what will happen is you'll run out of inventory really quickly. And so what we found we had to do is we always had to order way more than we needed. But then to cash flow, that's really hard because you know we were basically funding it out of our own pockets. We didn't want to take on debt investors because of my past experiences. Yeah. And so it was hard, but at the same time, we were super, super driven. So we would um, we were launching like six, seven, eight products every year, which is a lot. And the cost behind doing that's huge. And then our current products were growing while the new ones were growing. And so that basically where, 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 what it meant for us right up until very recently is we were always all in all our money and more is tied up in our inventory. And if you sold it all, it's a, it's a nice lump of money, but it's really hard to break that cycle and actually start taking money out and doing other things unless you're willing to put the handbrake on. And like we said earlier, Jade, with me being, love taking risks, love putting it all on black, love doing super hard stuff. <laughs> When your business is kicking ass really, really hard to say, hey, let's just slow down a bit. You just don't want to do it. You know? And so to get to where you were sort of heading with those questions, every year we would get something that happened happen that would kick our butt and it would make us go, oh, shit. We're so leveraged up to Amazon here. At any minute, they control the switch. They can flip the switch off and we're screwed. And every year one of these would happen and we'd recover from them and some would be bigger than others. And then I'd try to go and do something else like let's work on our Shopify store. And the amount of energy that I'd have to put in to try and build, get a little bit of traffic to our Shopify store, I'd always fall back into Oh my God, to get an extra couple of grand a month on our Shopify, all I've got to do is launch one product on Amazon, which is worth 30, 40, 50 grand a month. And so it's really hard to make that shift because yeah. just kept, it's so much better to just keep doing the Amazon thing, but that risk is there. So late 2018, after we'd had three ridiculously uh, fast growth years, like the 2017 to 18, our revenue went four times which was already off a number of going three times a year before, so we're talking some, you know, some big scale. And what happened was late 2018, we were so planned for the Christmas season, and then it's Chinese New Year, so we order up for essentially about six months. I had eight 40-foot containers on the water. Monica and I were in Costa Rica on a holiday, sitting on a car ferry, and I get 16 notifications. And long story short, what happened was, Amazon put 16 of our 24 products, and they were our top 16 that had the most reviews, best ranks, highest selling, all of that, put them in this category called pesticides. Confused the heck out of us, they couldn't tell us why. Basically for two months, I had to fight with Amazon to figure out, across the busiest time of the year, and they they suspended them, so we weren't selling anything, except for a few products. We still had other countries around the world, but the US um, had shut us down, essentially. And what ended up happening was, is the Environmental Protection Agency so the EPA, which is part of the Trump administration, they decided that any products that claim to remove bacteria or viruses or anything living, parasites, this kind of stuff, it's considered, an illegal, it's considered a pesticide, um, which is a weird term. I don't know why. I still don't quite get it. Um, and if you want to make those claims, you have to be registered with the EPA. And being water filters that do do those things, we said that through all of our listings and our packaging. It said our products remove this, 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 and we've got lab tests and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but because we weren't registered with the EPA on that day, they decided this. Amazon literally shut down thousands and thousands of, of products and everything from cutting boards that said they were antibacterial through to water filters through to a huge amount of stuff. And basically, what it was was someone just turning off our cash flow overnight. Um, we went from, let's say, our cash flow was normally one hundred percent. Overnight, it went down to twenty five percent. But I have, a, I have a team that's at this level, um, mm-hmm. and I had 40 foot containers that hadn't been paid for yet, and I was planning to pay for those with the money from Christmas sales. So we lost Christmas. We lost January. and lost Cyber
0: lost- Monday and Black Friday, didn't you?
1: That, no, we, that was it. Happened two days after Cyber Monday, so oh. we had amazing weekend yeah. and we were like, this is it this is it. this is our year like we were you know crushing it yeah. uh, we basically we just started
0: you know, our like seven months one around the, the world tour We're
1: like yeah, yeah, yeah. We, were, we were living we were living the high life pretty much and then um what ended up happening was after going back and forth with amazon trying to solve it uh they pretty much said look those particular products can can't be um put back in a different category they are pesticide even if you were to go and get registration with the EPA, which would take months and a huge amount of money, which is why I think the EPA might have done it. It's a bit of a revenue generation exercise. Um, they basically, uh, um, they said that those, pro- uh, oh, they said even if we got registration, because we're not an American company and we're, and we're not owned or American residents, Amazon's policy is only American citizens can sell pesticides on Amazon. So we kind of were cornered, from all angles here. And it was like, it was massive. And, and at this time I had some other things going on in my life personally, which was super tough. And it was just, it was really hard. Basically Monica fell pregnant, which was a big surprise. My mum passed away at the same time, which was very sudden. It was just a very, very, very tough time. And basically what, what we had to do was uh, we had to remove 30,000 products from Amazon's warehouses in about 40 States in the U S um and then we had to basically create new products so new changed filter mixes um make new packaging we had to change what we say we couldn't make all these claims even though uh the products do what what we said they did because we, we can't say that so then that puts a whole lot of things around you know um that was a bit of a competitive advantage for us so yeah. now we've lost some of that so it was it was a huge kick in the guts um and basically what it, what it meant for us was uh you know it took about six months to basically relaunch and all of that stuff but we had to start again so the new products that we launched were literally new products they had no reviews no ranks so five years ago when we got all, did all that work it was gone and i had to start again um which is really hard on now a platform that's way more competitive millions of people songs all over the world. Are, you know, And you it's, can't it's,
0: use your competitive advantage as your selling point.
1: All that stuff. Um, and so that was really, for me, I was like, okay, I don't have a choice because Monica and I have our life savings. Every, every bit of money we have is in our inventory. I had suppliers that I've got good relationships with that were backing me and they were being really nice about letting us pay them off over time, which was amazing. Um And really, I had to see it through. So we had to relaunch. We had to get back up. We have to figure out a way to sell our inventory so that the business can continue. But the big thing there was the final, it was the final sort of reminder that we're just way too leverage with Amazon. And so Mm -hmm. over this last 12 months, I I basically committed heavily to growing our own sales channel, which is what we're building on Shopify. Um, And I'm still super committed to it. And And it's hard. It's slow going. But it has to be done because we just cannot continue to have this level of risk all the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What would be some advice that you'd give if there was someone else looking to do a product based business selling via e-commerce, what things do they need to think about um, so that they don't get into those issues? Maybe in hindsight, maybe you would like knowing you, you probably wouldn't do anything different, but if you were going to advise, say you were going to coach someone doing something similar, what would you What would you advise them to do?
1: Yeah, well, look, like, like you're right, Jade. Um, I don't, I don't have regrets. Um, I, you know, business is constantly a state of learning. There's always challenges. It doesn't matter what type of business you're in. The the challenges are just different. It also doesn't matter what scale you're at. There's just different challenges. But the, business is is tough, and it's always going to be that way. So. I don't have any regrets. It's certainly not the last business I'll do either. So it's, it's all good there. Um, and the learnings of the last year is definitely, um, I would say I've matured a lot as a business owner. Um, uh, I get really high off doing all of the uh, sexy parts like the marketing and all of that sort of fun growth type stuff, whereas the more um, admin compliance um, regulatory stuff, um, which is definitely necessary at our scale and the markets we play in. Um, I used to just just absolutely hate it. Where I basically over this last year learned that it's necessary, and um, I had to grown up. Bear with me one <laughs> sec. I have to let my job
0: back in. <laughs> Alpha. Alpha
1: <laughs> yeah, annoys me. He keeps he's, he's learned how to open the door, but he hasn't learned how to close it. So can't
0: <laughs> <in>.
1: <laughs> but what advice that I would have, and if I just focus on e-commerce, so. That e-commerce physical product space, it is awesome. I would encourage people if you want that location independence and if you want to uh, have basically unlimited scale opportunity and all of that stuff, or even if you just want a small product based business, it's a fantastic space to be in. But I would probably say the tough part is keeping up with all the changes. It's mm-hmm. such a fast moving um, space. So... You know, each of the platforms like Amazon and eBay and all of that—they all change, but they all change in each of each different countries as well. And so, you know, um, for example, the way sales tax was calculated in the US is now totally changed. And then you can have Trump decides to tax uh, uh, imports from China at twenty-five percent, where we used to didn't have any any tax on them at all. Um, then you get things in. Uh, Europe with the way stuff flows because of the Brexit. And so there's all of these things that happen all the time. And so I guess if you're going to go down the e-commerce path, I would either say pick a market that you either want to play in or that you really know. So let's say you're from Europe. Uh, I met a guy actually who was just really focused on Holland and he was a way more chewed out guy than me because he's just stayed in his own backyard, which he knew well. And he's doing it really well and he's and he's and he's not allowing himself to to spread out, even though he's got a great business and the temptations there. Um, and even now in that e com space, going after, for example, Amazon.com in the US as your first launch platform now, I'd probably say don't do it. I'd I'd look at other platforms like um, you know, the UK's still got great opportunities, Germany's fantastic. There's a lot of other places that you could you could go that are bit easier and cheaper to get started um, mm-hmm. than trying to go off you know a really popular keyword or product in amazon.com yeah so i think i think though the fundamental things though, that i mentioned before is doing the work up front to choose the right products um, or the right niche then sourcing really good quality products and making sure that that quality is maintained. Cause it, it's really hard to maintain that, especially when your suppliers are overseas. Um,
0: and that can really screw you. Like, cause one of those hiccups you said with the quality control, it's like you can make all this money, sell it all, think you're, you're sweet and you're investing in the next thing. And then if your quality control and they're all coming back, that can just sideswipe you. Right.
1: Can, yeah. The quality control things like it, it is a big deal. And, and we have all of the, you know, checks and things in place. And we have all of that stuff, but even, even quality control aside though. Um, and what, what I was saying about creating your own products that are actually, I mean, for example, actually designed and patented and all of that while people can still kind of create copy products. Um, it's a lot harder and a lot slower for them to do so. And so they usually will go after products that are, that they can easily basically buy from your same supplier or someone who can get from your supplier or someone who can copy, and so, we've had issues like, for example, um, a couple of the products out of the 16 that went down, they were our early products that were basically white labeled. So, they're not our design. We just repackaged them and we put our own filter in it and made it a bit, a bit ours, but very easy to copy. So, by the time we launched them, two or three competitors had come onto the market. And so, in one product, to give you an example, we had a shower head that we used to sell for 45 bucks and we'd sell them all day long. I bought them at a really good price, great margin in it, excellent product for us globally. By the time we relaunched it in uh, the US, we had three or four competitors that had basically overtaken and got to the top of the ranking. But then they all undercut each other like crazy to the point where the product's now a $25 product. So I spent 30 grand relaunching and getting this product back up to a good position. But now I have to sell it at 25 bucks. And so there's hardly any margin left in it. But I still have thousands of them because I had a huge order on the way. Yeah, so you've got to get rid of them. Yeah, you get situations where you can end up, and this is, this is one of the challenges with physical products. You can end up mm. with, you know, you're you're trying to keep up with your inventory going, but if something happens to make that product go from selling, so we had one product that was selling 100 a day down to six a day. And so I've got literally 8,000 of these things sitting in a warehouse trying to figure out how to sell them. And do you sell them at a loss? Do you just let them sit around? You've got to calculate what your storage costs versus selling it as a promo. or yeah. give, Am I better keep it because... If I bring new stuff in, then I'm going to get hit by the taxes, the new taxes. There's so many moving parts that you've just got to always be across.
0: All of that sounds so overwhelming for me because I am not, not a numbers person whatsoever. As you know, I'm, a, I'm a definitely all about the talking, not all about the details. Um, despite coming from an operational background previously, now I'm allergic to spreadsheets, allergic to really looking at those nitty gritty numbers. Where did you, where did you learn or how did you increase your skills to be able to start making those decisions financially?
1: Yeah, just um, as, as we started to like, I basically built the whole business inside my um, Google drive account. So Google sheets and Google docs was like, that's where we lived. And as the business grew and we needed different tools. So for example, I personally used to calculate every month I'd look at the inventory I'd, do some forecasts and go, okay, I think we need to order this many now. And then and, and while you had a few products and the sales weren't too crazy, I could do that and then I'd make mistakes. So one of the things that happened all the time is um, I wouldn't order enough soon enough. And then all of a sudden I'd have to send stuff um, from China to the US or other parts of the world by air rather than sea, which is five times more expensive.
0: Yeah, margin gone Amazon,
1: so you do it, and so your margins get hurt and all of those things. And so really it was trial and error. Basically, just my inventory forecasting got better over time, but there did become a point in the business, which was for us nearly three years ago or two and a half years ago now, where I realized I was just it was a full time job doing inventory management because we have our own warehouses in the US and UK, plus those warehouses feed into amazon 's network of you know hundreds of warehouses all around the world. And then we have other third party warehouses we use for servicing other channels like Walmart and things. And so to know where all that inventory is, how much you've got in production, how much might be on boats or planes at any given moment, and then make sure you're not going to run out, but then also make sure you don't have too much. So your storage costs aren't too high to do that outside of my realm of, of skill set, And so that was one of my first points where I went, okay, I've got to go and hire someone awesome. And so, and if you did
0: focus on that and that took all your time, then the business wouldn't be growing because your zone of genius really is that marketing piece, that growth strategy, that algorithms, knowing how to be ahead of the game there, right?
1: Yeah. Well, so, so there's basically three key people that I knew I needed. So a couple of years ago when I was facing another burnout in this business, I looked at, made a big list for, for many, for, I think for a couple of months, I was monitoring what I was doing every day, like monitoring my own tasks and where my time went and all that stuff. Cause I wanted to see where the, what stuff I could delegate and outsource yeah. and all that. Um, what was highest,
0: not highest, best use of your time and your yeah, brain?
1: hundred percent. And the three things that, that I needed, or three people the core ones was I needed someone that was managing the platforms. So dealing with Amazon on a day to day basis, is a full-time gig because there's constantly um, products that are either getting not so much all suspended, but there's your listings get messed up and there's issues with, it's just a thousand things that happen on any given day with the platforms. Yeah. And the forms also tie ties into orders and customer service and things. So I needed someone to run the platforms. Then the, the second one was um, inventory planning, which is what we talked about before, but that also entails what I call our whole supply chain. So it's inventory management, Ordering managing the production process quality control shipping finance logistics. It's that whole piece So I've got a two I've got two guys that are a full-time two-man team that do that Um, Unbelievably good Um, And then the third person I really needed was um, on the marketing side. So I was running all of our uh, advertising um, Globally and when you think about just Amazon alone, you know, when you've got 40 products and hundreds and hundreds of keywords and every keyword can be bid on separately and it changes by the minute, I would spend three, four, five hours every single day, day in, day out, trying to keep our ads delivering a good return. You know, I want to, yeah. for every dollar I spend on ads, I want $3 back. So if I spend 50 grand on ads, I want 150 back. And to, to make that happen and not have big losses and big wins was so hard to manage on my own when I was running the rest of the business. So I actually outsourced and we still do now to um, a really good marketing agency in the US that run all of our advertising. And they've got software to help all of those bids and budget rules. But I would have never have done that as a startup because only because I know the advertising so well, I can work with an agency and know when they're bullshitting me and when they're not. And I know what metrics I need, I know what goals I need. And, and the same goes for the inventory planning. I sat down with my inventory guy and said, this is my issue. Blah. What I need to see is blah. Make it happen. And so yeah. you know what you need until you know what you don't know. You don't really know who to go and hire. And so I think um, as your business grows and you're at different stages, you just got to keep your ears open. you got to try and pull your head out of the weeds because while you're doing all that work, you don't think about that stuff. But there will come a point where like, you're basically going to fall over if you don't.
0: Yeah,
1: get people that are better than you at stuff <laughs> i love that
0: well branson always says that right like he wouldn't be where he is if he didn't hire people smarter than him so yeah. i was actually coaching someone just the other day they wanted to they're, they're lo- looking at launching a physical product uh into the surfing um sphere they've not run a business before was going to hire a um product innovation team who helped do all everything i said well you won't know if you're going to get taken for a ride. You won't know what what they're selling you or what they're doing if you don't actually go and do some of the legwork first, at least like you're just looking for the easy out. You've got an idea. You fucking think it's a yeah. great idea. And you're just hoping to give away either a little bit of equity or pay some cash and offload your responsibility. And that just leaves you so open to being taken for a ride. Because when you don't know those things and you, don't actually, you haven't actually done the research, you don't have the skin in the game either, it, it just exposes you too much and it's just not a good idea, is it?
1: No, nah, that's just, you know, with, with, all, with any business, you know, if you haven't, if you haven't done it before, um, you kind of just need to be, if, you, if you're not willing to do the work, you know, I guess if you're not willing to put in those hard yards and, and, and do the learnings. Um, have to be very lucky to fluke it, to hand it to the right people. And no one's going to love it like you will. No one's going to put the effort in like you will. Um, and so, yeah, unless, unless you, you'd have to be, it'd be a fluke to to nail it without yeah. doing it yourself. And and you shouldn't do business really if you don't want to do it yourself, in my opinion. Yeah, anyway, you yeah of, at least
0: to start with. And know, know what your weaknesses are, but you've still got to do the learning. You've got to do, like, I was a national operations manager for two and a half years. It made me, physically ill, like I started throwing up blood from doing it because I'm that allergic to circular referencing and creating forecasting documents. But there is no way I could coach a business around what they need and how to run a forecast, how to run the metrics, how to do the vitals and how to do that stuff or know when I appointed a virtual CFO, what I needed to see in in that data without doing that slog but yeah. did I need to do it for two and a half years? Probably not, but, but well, you,
1: can, you can, for sure you can fast track stuff. Like, especially now, like and using the e-commerce example as well, if I just said Shopify, for example, or, or there's, or even around Amazon now, there's a whole uh, ecosystem of plugins, apps, softwares, tools, basically that you can use for anything that you want. Cause if you're like, I'll find myself going, it would be great if there was something that would help connect these two bits together, and then sure enough, it's out there. It's if you've thought it. of it, yeah. It and so you can fast track it once you've once you've if you learn fast, you can then implement things to take take it on. Like I said, I can. You know, we're five years in business. That's you know selling ten thousand products a month, and I can basically not work if I want. I don't. I work because I like working and <laughs> I've got big goals for the business. But yeah. but we back now if we if we wanted but it but it is because I've done I've done the hard yards I've had a few businesses and and I've and I've really spent that time to get a team in place and then monitor that team and work with that team and coach that team and you know it's it's been a huge amount of work but it's definitely worth it yeah
0: 100 percent. let's just talk about when you took on a coach and what what led you to taking on a coach or mentor what do you class what do you class him as?
1: Yeah. Well, look, I think, I think we've might've even talked and uh, spoke about this once before, Jade, but for me, coach, mentor, whatever you want to call it, it's all the same thing. But the way I've always approached that is I go after a specialist in the particular thing I need at the time. So I'm not big on a general business coach that will coach me in everything from accounting to marketing to Cause I find a lot of those more generalist business coaches, um, they're more there to be a bit of an emotional support for you as well. And that's cool. A lot of people need that. I find I don't need much of that. I'm crazy self-motivated. I just don't really need that handholding. I'm much more tactical. So for me, um, when we really wanted to kick ass at just basically double down on Amazon, I went out and I found someone who was just the guru on building Amazon businesses paid him a shit ton of money for a six month period. We doubled our sales, lots of learnings, and then we parted ways. And we're mates now and it's all good. Um, but then I'll turn my attention to something else. So right now, because Shopify is my focus, I joined a mastermind group, um, which is on optimizing Shopify stores and, and it involves lots of weekly calls and we do they do they they critique your site and they do audits on your site and then I work with the developers to implement. And so essentially, I'm really all for coaches and mentors of any sort, but the thing that I would, what worked really well for me is just going, working with them in shorter dosages and for what you specifically need at that time, because your needs change.
0: And what I have loved about watching your journey with that is you really do, you go, right, what can I do the deep work on? What's the focus? So you're not like trying to work on five different things with six different coaches and you're in all these different masterminds and everything. You're like, I am going to master this and I'm going to go Mm. deep on this until I've nailed it. And then I'm good. I can move on to the next thing. And you're kind of like logical in terms of what does the business need right now? How can I, how can I get that knowledge? But how do you choose who you work? Like, cause obviously I'd, I'd assume with Spotify, that's Spotify, Shopify, that you, yeah, Spotify is good too. Um, If you can start selling water filters on Spotify, that could be epic. We can start your podcast. (laughs) No, but how do you go? Like even Amazon, there's, there's millions of them out there. Like saying they coach on this, they do that. Like how do you figure out what's going to be the one for you?
1: Yeah, look, I sort of, um, it's funny this is going to sound a bit woo woo but when it, when I sort of feel like I'm starting to head towards needing some support or a new coach or mentor or whatever it'll generally be because I'm having some sort of challenge with a certain area of the business or life or whatever and I find once you sort of have that realization for yourself that something's um, that, that you need help in a certain area I start digging I'll find myself opening emails that I might not normally open like someone trying to tell me more about Amazon which I get tons of Amazon email, but I don't even read it anymore because it's kind of we're past that stage. I'm still there in case there's something good that pops up in the future. And so generally what I do is I find that once I'm open or needing to needing something, I find it finds me a little bit um, or a lot of things might find me and then I have to sift. But the way that I would sift through and choose things is really hard, hard results. So Mm -hmm. there's a ton of Amazon courses. If you use that as the example out there, and there's a lot of, there was one the other day, Monica sent me actually a link to it and we had a good chuckle because it was some guy in America driving a Lamborghini.
0: <laughs> of course.
1: Like 18 and it's changed his life and he was quoting all of his sales figures. But because we've been around it, we kind of also know a lot of that's bullshit. It's either either the kid's got a lot of debt or, um, you know, his sales numbers might be X, but the profitability is really where it counts and we know how hard it is to, to get good profitability and keep it in this yeah. fast space,
0: especially in your space, that product base, global distribution. Too many people, I think, get hung up on the vanity metric, that, that big number, like yeah. even getting to the first million, but they get to the first million and it's cost them 1.2. <laughs>
1: yeah. So use it. Yeah. Yeah. And a hundred percent. Yeah. And we, and we've been down that road too. I've made those same mistakes. Um, to the point where this year I'm actually, my targets, the first time ever I've actually set myself a goal of not, exceeding our revenue target for the year but increasing the profitability by x amount yeah. so and it'll actually even cool if we drop our revenue by 20 percent to hit the profit number because yeah. basically in our space you can be super aggressive with advertising so that that sales volume and you're, and you're staying right at the top but to be in that top couple of positions it's so aggressive and expensive that we've actually realized that hey it might be better to be in positions six seven and eight and yeah, make more profitable sales but that healthy profit and way less pressure as well because only yeah. the top guy like we were and still are to a lot of extent you get attacked like people are trying to sh- take you down it's brutal yeah. out there. you know it's dodgy tactics people buying products and leaving shit reviews when you know competitors attacking you people making complaints to amazon it's a Legal. jungle out there oh yeah it's brutal um so with that coach mentor thing i'm looking for hard proof so There's some excellent courses out there. Like there's, you know, to give you one example on the Amazon thing, um, Amazing Seller Machine, and those guys have been around. I think they're up to Amazing Seller Machine number 12. And I've never done their course, by the way, so I can't vouch for the course. But I've done other things with these guys. And they really put the effort in. Their content's excellent. Um, They've been around. They've got track record that they can prove and they share it and it's not bullshit smoke and mirrors. And I find I'm pretty good being a bit older. I can see through a lot of that crap now and I've seen enough pictures to know what to do. But then mostly what I'll do is often dip my toe in the water with someone. I might do a something that's not too big an investment time or money wise Mm -hmm. and then go from there. And so with that last Amazon coach of ours, um, I think I did a thousand dollars sort of online program and I liked his approach. So then I reached out for a one-on-one session. And off that one-on-one, I asked him to coach me.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and this one with Shopify recently, um, I've found that, and this is actually keeping an eye of the time for you, Jay, but one of the big things lately with the Shopify thing is these guys, I really believe in because I've done a lot of different courses with them, but this whole thing around Shopify, at the start I said to them, I want to make my Shopify store $100,000 a month, um, do you think that's possible? And they said 100% yes. And I said, even though we dominate on Amazon.com, do you think we could build our own channel to even get a fraction of what we get over there? And he said, yep, yep, yep. They, they, this is a group of guys. Yes, you can. 12 months in, we're struggling to get the Shopify store to grow. And I'm like, and I'm doing everything that these guys implement. I'm spending a lot on development. I'm really doing a lot, um, a lot of paid traffic, heaps of stuff. And I circled back to them. Um, on this and uh, it's kind of, they've kind of backed off a little bit in saying, well, I'm kind of competing with myself on Amazon. So to give you an example, if I'm running ads on Amazon and ads on Google, Amazon also run Google ads. And so what's happening is I'm, I'm running, I'm paying a lot of money to try and get people to my website. And then in America, because everyone's conditioned to buy off Amazon, they come to our site, look, shop, have a look around, and then they go to Amazon and buy our stuff. And so I'm paying to get the sale for Amazon, which then just doesn't make any sense. And so I guess where I was going with that on the, you know, this mentor group, what I've ended up having to do with them is go next level with them. So I said, I I can't just be in your group with hundreds of other people because I've got a specific case here. So I've now paid them for a next level of audit and focus with them. Um, And now we're starting to see some, some real results. And so Yeah. Dip my toe in, but then if I believe in something and they can prove that they've got the goods and I see or I see that it can get there. Um, and we're just, I guess to to wrap up that one, um, that's kind of given us a big direction in where we're heading this year. So what we've learned and we've taken on a new marketing agency to help is on Shopify. We discovered that, um, you know, there's so many other countries around the world that um, we could be selling to at a high price who don't look at Amazon where it's so competitive. But we've been so US-focused on our own website for so long for a number of reasons. Shipping overseas, yeah. different currencies and languages, has all been a bit tricky. But now we're really committed to actually growing our store to non-Americans. And yeah. for us, in America, it's all about Amazon, other places, it's Shopify. And that's a huge shift for us. And Yeah. I wouldn't have got that if, unless I was part of this group and I was and I was going after the mentor. So you do need, especially when you work like I do, like pretty much on my own in my little box with my team, you need to be, you need to get exposure to other people's influence and input, otherwise good people.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> you know, if you listen to every guru out there, then no, but mm-hmm. if you're really selective and you get the right people, that can definitely fast track your business.
0: Yeah, 100%. Now, we actually... You and I actually met at a business course uh, when we were both doing the entourage. Um, So, oh god, how long ago? So a while ago now, right? So, you you then picked up that it was important to get education and seek business advice quite early on in your life because you're only third. You were before thirty because we had your thirty-fifth birthday at my house,
1: I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It must have been when I was around thirty. Yeah, it was it was early stages of my other business. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But what I found, especially in Australia, is a lot of businesses, especially like trades or services, people that have come from a profession and then gone out on their own, they, they tend to just be trying to do it themselves. And I understand their fear of going into the group masterminds and things like that, but they're, they're not, there seems to be a little bit of an aversion into taking, like seeking out the advice. Why do you think that is and what advice would you give those people?
1: Uh huh. Um, there's probably for some people, there's for sure ego involved with that. There's a, there's a, especially if people feel like that they've, um, they've, they know what they're doing already and they just want to go do it. Um, but probably the advice I'd give, like, so things like mastermind groups, conferences, there's so much of that stuff out there that you can go and do. And I probably went through a stage in my life where I did quite a bit of it. Now I actually really don't want to, I don't actually like going to big events with big groups and, all of that stuff. And there's a lot of rah-rah and high fives and group hugs and stuff. I'm, I'm not really into that anymore. Um, whereas, and I guess it's just, a, I'm at a different stage. Different we
0: used to stand on a chair and chant, remember? Yeah, you know,
1: <laughs> that's, that's what I mean. It's not like I haven't been there. I've, I've done all of that worked for me at that time. But I think if you're someone who has an aversion to, um, I guess getting help, um, I guess well really, you have to ask yourself why, because if you if, if you want nothing more for your business to succeed, you just got to leave the ego at the door and do whatever it needs to take to make that happen and, and in most cases, you need help with something it, it, it yeah. might might be fine with the core part of the business, but you need help with the back end or you're good with the back end, you need help with this part, you know whatever it is. Um, yeah, I think people probably just need to you just need to get out there and, and do it I think it's probably also because of the people get buried in doing the work that it does take a bit of work to go and find someone. And then yeah. the time do that type of thing when you're in, especially the early stages and you're just, there's so much to do it all the time and you're working around the clock. It's pretty hard to make that, allow yourself that time. It yeah. gets easier get further along in the business. Like I can now take, you know, whatever time I want to go do things like that, but it takes yeah. time.
0: What about ROI? Like if you think back to maybe some of the first, like, when we were doing the entourage I don't know it was probably like thirteen thousand dollars or something for yeah. us to to opt in and I'd say at that stage cash flow was still a bit of an issue. How do you justify and what have you found be the payoffs when you do invest a chunk of cash?
1: I think this is why I really like to go get mentors for something that I really need at that time because if I'm going to put money into something I, w- I want that return so to give you an example, Monica's someone who loves to um, she loves to study and research, and so she's forever buying courses about all kinds of stuff. And it's cool because most of the time Monica's not spending a lot of money on this stuff. These are sort of lower, lower value. but what ends up happening is Mon kind of and she'll kind of admit this so if she doesn't finish a lot of these courses and then often doesn't get the time to implement any of it, and that's fine because he spent let's say a couple hundred bucks on, a, on an online course, that's fine. But when you're in this business space, if you want good people, you've got to pay them. So that Amazon guy that I was telling you about that I was coaching with, he has 1500 US an hour to talk to him on the phone. And I was talking to him a couple of times a month. Big investment, but I knew what I needed. I actually drove the meetings, So even though he was the coach, mm. I was like, I want this, 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 this. And I kind of ran it like an agenda. And if he started waffling, I'd cut him off. Because at the end of the day, I'm paying, so it's, it's,
0: and paying it's my dime.
1: <laughs> but yeah, 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 and and really, I make sure that, that's kind of my promise to myself, really. is Whatever I invest in, I'm happy to spend big money on stuff. Um, even the thing we're doing now with Shopify, you know, some of the development costs involved and what they, they want me to do, you know, to make tiny tweaks in the shopping cart on Shopify, you know, thousands of dollars later. Mm-hmm. But I make a change, I test it. Did it improve my conversions? Yes. Okay. Spend more money, and and so you've got a. Everyone's got a finite amount of money that they have, whether it's a thousand or a hundred thousand um, or a hundred. <laughs> but as long as you can put it into something, do the work, see a result, and then scale up that investment. Yeah. You know, same as your business. You can't go out and hire a guy who costs a hundred thousand dollars an hour when you're a startup. But you know, I think you need to stretch yourself out a little bit, like we yeah. did back in that. Like I said, thirteen grand when I was thirty in a startup and all my money was tied up. It was a big deal, but I got tons of value. And for me, at that point, it was about having a support network of other entrepreneurs, and I, yeah. I needed that sort of warm hug feeling. Whereas yeah. now, that and that's it just depends. On where you're at.
0: And that yeah, it does depend on where you're at, um, and the value you get from the group learning as well as the just the leadership of the group. Uh, and when I look back, when I think about it, m- most of my really good friends have either come from the entourage or from Mine Valley, and that's because they get those people get me. And so the value when I actually look at the value of what I spent on it, the value is far more than just the the education I got from those. It's actually the friends and the the uh, brains trust group that I've got from there now.
1: Awesome. Sure. Here in Bali, I've found one of the things I love here in this area where we are is um, I've found that I've got this really nice tight. It's taken a while to find them because everyone's busy, but I've got this nice little group of of friends that most guys actually that um, it's very similar minded in terms of the lifestyle they want. Hence, living here in Bali, but also they're running their own businesses. And they're also at the sort of, I go for people that are almost at the same stage of business. So you've talked about before you mentioned Monty. I catch up with Monty regularly. We surf then we also sit in cafes and talk shop and he's talking about his challenges. And so I think like you said, yeah, that investment um, to do some of those things does come back tenfold sort of relationships. Um, But again, that just sort of goes more to just surround yourself with people that, are at, you know kind of where you want to be
0: 100 percent. so that's one of the things that i really try to harp onto is like you know, the some of the five people you spend the most time with and you've got to think about where you're going and this isn't about like abandoning friendships or anything like that but if you want to grow your business to a certain level and you're hanging around with people that are either below that or only where you're at or are not in business and that's your only input then you're not going to exceed that. It's it's going to be really hard to push forward. And you need to think about, you know, how are you getting up leveled? How are you getting challenged? Who's meeting you where to take you up that level and, and looking at that sum of the five. Have I lost you, Dan? You're you're froze for a second.
1: Um I could hear you the whole time. So it's it's all good.
0: Amazing. Um so that's something that I really would challenge people. And you don't need to necessarily pay to go and be a part of a group, but like the cheesy networking, but not the cheesy networking things like find out where other people that are, that are living the life that you want to live and are growing those business are hanging out and make friends with them.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Just get around the right people.
0: Yeah. And really, yeah, really analyze the people that you are hanging out and getting the input from. Are they actually going to help you get where you want to go? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a tricky one. Um, before, we did touch a little bit on the we, – we started segueing with the technology that you use to run your business. Maybe um, not even the technology, but what are some of the systems or processes, even if they're manual, like that you've implemented to be able to run a global business but also to give you the, the decision-making tools that you need to make?
1: Yeah, there's, to be honest, in our business, there's loads. We use loads of tools and tech to help us make the thing run. But I'll give you a couple of examples that work really well for us. Um, Recently, when we went through all of the big issues last year, I'd been running the company a little bit irresponsibly in that I was just like, I I kept, I added more people to my team. I let the managers run those people. And I assumed that everyone was doing all the right stuff and it was all the right stuff to do. Um, we've, I'm, you know, we've got an amazing team of people. We've never really even lost it. We've got an, I feel so lucky to have a good team. But what I realized was once we started having such cash flow issues, I was like, I need to really see whether we can afford this team. And so I was like, before I even think about, you know, downsizing my team, I need to see if they're working on, on what they're working on and is it the right stuff? Mm-hmm. And so what we did was we basically plugged in this software called Hive Desk. I think it's called it's called Hive Desk and basically everyone in the team gets an account and as they're working they basically are are logging in and out of different tasks so they Ah. had to all the things that they do and if you're a customer service person in my team they know they need to check these messages this respond to these reviews answer these calls. know what the tasks are so we put all the tasks in and then we had them doing all the stuff And what it did for all the different parts in the team, including myself, was we identified a whole lot of stuff that we used to do because it was what the business needed two, three years ago that just is totally not even needed anymore. Or we've got other systems that do it. So I identified all this wastage. And so the first thing we did is we we basically said, okay, can we keep the team and redirect their focus on other stuff Mm -hmm. and just wastage? And the answer was actually no. Um, we didn't have enough new stuff to be able to direct people to because we were also trying to recover from, from big issues. So we weren't in this big sort of growth mode like we had been. Um, and unfortunately what it meant for the, for some of the team as well was we just had too many people and we didn't need it all. And so we went through a bit of a restructure, a couple of people moved on, a couple of people went to less hours, things like that. And, um, but in terms of a piece of technology, it was actually a really, really handy little tool because wow. it gave us a very quick snapshot of the wastage and yep. then it, it cut it out. And there was no hiding from it because my team are all good people. I had one-on-ones with all of them and said, guys, we're in a shitty position in the business. I, I need to do this. I'm not criticizing. I know you work great, but I've never actually really looked at what you do. Yeah. So, you know, and so it was kind of something that, uh, again, for me, sort of i guess maturing as a businessman i i did that and it was it was, it was a really good thing so that's one um, the other tools that we use like i said the whole thing runs on google drive so we're big on google sheets and google docs and everything shared and and, and all of that kind of stuff um, what would be any other major one hmm i can't think of any off the top of my head this
0: Back on the Hive desk, um, I actually use, I've used a couple of different systems similar to that. So Harvest is one, which is my last CFO um, put me onto and that, that's what she had her whole accounting firm and bookkeepers, everyone running on. Um, but it, it was a little bit more expensive than what I wanted to do and it didn't integrate with the systems I wanted. I now use Toggle and Toggle integrates with Asana, with my calendar, with a Chrome um, extension, And everything. So in a calendar, when a calendar comes in, I can link that to I'm podcasting for this long or whatever. And so my team can have all that. And it can also be assigned to clients if you're running different projects and things like that. It's an app on your phone too. So you can do it. You can just start the timer while you're out and about. So I that's I love that you brought up Hive Desk and how you used it because that's something that I really suggest for all business owners, especially for themselves, like where are you leaking time where are you yeah. not in highest best use how could you be out like you know you're spending 4 hours reading inboxes and looking at fucking sales emails from people sending you courses you don't need to read that shit yeah right if you think about what your value is to the business and highest best use of you or what your hourly rate should be you can be paying someone like i i pay someone 11 australian no I have another go. a new, I have a second assistant that I pay 11 New Zealand dollars to an hour to go through that stuff and only give me the tasks that I only I can deal with. Yeah, like, yeah. Like think about how many, like for the business owners listening, think about how many hours you're wasting that you could be back in highest best use. Like for Dan, when you did that original audit on yourself, when you're going through burnout, and realizing that okay you could give this to a marketer and this to this and this to this a they're going to be in their genius zone and probably do it better than you but what did that free you up to focus on yeah and how did yeah. that impact the business uh,
1: unfortunately we don't um yeah usually you don't do these things though until something bad happens and that's probably how and, then there's, and this is kind of i guess the part of the business learning stuff is you know every time we go through a big issue um it usually ends up resulting in some really good lessons and then growth because one of the things that I, one thing I think I do do really well is, um, is I do take those lessons and I don't, I don't let them happen again. There's a few things that, um, because of my risky personality that I'll, I'll, I'll make, I've made a few mistakes the same time over and over that I go, that's just cause of my stupid personality. But for the most part, I, I take the lessons Yes. find solutions, grow the business out of it. You know, and that's kind of it's where we are right now. I feel yeah. really good at it, actually.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's a key thing I've seen with you over the past is yeah, you do you take the lesson, you actually diagnose it, like you you break it down. You don't just go oh that was a shit thing, and you actually go right. What what actually happened? How did it get to that? How did we get to here? How do we not do that? What was the lesson in it? And yeah. then how do we iterate? and implement something now yeah. to get back on track. Because I think a lot of the time people can get stuck dwelling on the shit thing that happened or they don't really, and especially if it means they have to look at their own. Um, I say everything like we're at cause for everything. You are at cause for everything. Yeah. And if some people don't want to look at when they're the cause and if you can go back and go for you, you can often go, yep, I rolled the dice and I threw it all on black. <laughs> it's just like, that's yeah, what I
1: I've, do, but <laughs> Yeah, I've I've always said um I take hundred percent responsibility for everything that happens, always, and I I always have in in businesses. And like don't get me wrong, like last year when this uh, late late um twenty eighteen when this big issue happened, it put me in a dark place. Like it, it really knocked the wind out of me. I was facing big changes in terms of becoming a dad and feeling responsible for now a family and Monica not working all of that sort of felt, I felt a lot of personal pressure there at the same time, the business basically was just collapsing around me and no money to fix it. And the money's all tight. It was all these sort of shit. How am I going to fix this? And so I did spiral like emotionally and was burnt out and completely went into a pretty dark hole. But I think what people need to be able to do is, let that happen, go into that hole, feel like shit, but then get the hell out of it. You know, you have to then dig and go, okay, you've had your t- you've done your tea t- party. Yeah, get over it because basically it's then survival. It's, you know, it took us six months of what I consider basically survival mode where any, any day we could have been game over. All it needed was one more issue and it would have been game over. And, and it was like that the whole way. And it's only just in this last couple of months that and there was a lot of creative stuff too, you know, like the negotiating to power suppliers, you know, we had to take on various funding and loans to get through operationally. And there's a ton of really tricky stuff to navigate and things that I don't like doing stuff that's, you know, it was a real, real grind. Um, but I had to do it. Um, and, and you do sort of come out the other side of it, but you just have to, yeah, go through the shit, feel bad about it, but then pull yourself out and figure out what to do to fix it and then to actually fix it. The execution, I uh, don't even get me started on that, but people that have all these ideas, it's great, but execution for me is like 95% of business. You can have best ideas in the world, but if you don't execute, and so for yeah. me that sort of discipline and consistent discipline and action is what success is about. That's it, 100%.
0: That actually links me back to what I was, I was, I had a thought when you were talking about the the coaches and that as well. Um, one of the, I ha, I got someone asked me a question. They, they wanted me to teach them LinkedIn and they asked me if I could guarantee it would work. And I said, no, I couldn't guarantee it because I couldn't guarantee that they would do the work because yeah. I wasn't going to be there to do the work with them. I said, I can guarantee that the strategy will work, but you've got to be willing to do this stuff. I'm not going to be there doing it for you. So are you willing to do this work? Because I'd had the benefit of knowing them previously. So I, <laughs> I knew that sometimes they could, you know, be uh shiny thing syndrome and not, not actually follow through. And it's like, well, you've got to do it. And, and that's the key thing. Like you've got to be willing to take the lesson. Most people don't have a knowledge problem. They've got an implementation problem and actually do it.
1: Yeah, especially for shit we don't like to do. It yeah. sucks to actually make yourself do it. I procrastinate still now on certain things, but not for long. I i I find the best way to get around that is to just attack the shit you don't want to do first. So for me, six in the morning, I'm fresh, get the coffee, ignore the email. Don't open an inbox. Don't go to Skype. Don't check any other shit. What's the big shit task. I've got to get done. Get it done. Yeah. 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 That frog. That's
0: it. it. So on that bringing up referencing books, I know you've been a big reader as well in the past, like in terms of picking up the book to learn things, what would be your one to five uh, best recommendations for business owners? Either books, podcasts.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's actually been, to be honest, because of that shit we went through last year, I kind of really didn't go too hard on. I, I was a business book freak for like years um, and I, and podcast too. And I really, I was so over business last year. It was actually hard work to just stay focused on getting our business out of trouble. The last thing I wanted to do in my spare time was read business books. So I didn't do much of that last year, but I, if I just, I don't need to give you one to five, I'll just give you one. <laughs> and the book that I'm still reading every single day, um, is called the daily stoic. I oh, think I, I guess, ho- Yeah. It's a Ryan holiday or holiday holiday book. And it's basically just 365, they call it meditations, but it's basically one page a day for the whole year um, that talks about sort of Stoic quotes um, from Stoic philosophers from way back in the day. And then the author basically gives you sort of like a modern day spin on it. And the reason why this one was so huge for me is, you know, there's a million things that books out there and all the tactical stuff and there's loads of stuff in that sort of self-help realm as well. But what I love about this book is, I'm time poor, um, like most people. I'm not, a, no, I'm not time poor these days. That's bullshit. I got heaps of time. But I like, uh, but I make, I'm, I make myself pretty busy. I don't want to spend ages reading a book, for example. Whereas what this book does for me, I find is um, just gets, gives you this great little perspective on life. It'll either it'll either be things about you know life's really short, make the most of it every day. And to, to put it in a really cr- crude thing, um, but reading something like that for me, first thing for just two minutes can totally set my whole day up for feeling great about the day and getting into it. And so it's become my Bible this last couple of years, especially because I was on this emotional roller coaster with the business and also personally. And so, yeah, I, I, I'd recommend it to everyone. It's like, it's such a good book. I've got it sitting, Above me right here is our sort of outdoor deck looking over the rice field. And I have it sitting on the coffee table there. And every morning, wake up, look at the volcano over there, read a page of that book, and then, I, right, let's do this. And, and I'm into it.
0: Love it. And I've, I've actually had a number of people recommend that book for, for getting them centred, getting them grounded for the, the usual stoicism reasons. Um, but if anyone is interested, Ryan Holiday is an epic um, writer and he's got some really fantastic books. And if you're in startup or you're launching a new um, brand, he has a book called the Preennial Seller. Mm. and I think I'm pronouncing it right preennial. And it's all about and it, it's basically written more at people that are writing a book, but you apply the principles to launching anything. and it's mm-hmm. about how do you build the tribe because um, um, Ryan holiday does a lot of work with Seth Godin. He's the guy that was behind launching the four hour work week for Tim Ferris. And it's all about the, the pre work before you launch. So you've got raving loyal fans and a community and people fucking gagging for your product service, yeah. whatever it is before you drop it. Yeah, so, cool. yeah. So he's actually got two, two ends of the spectrum there with, with the work, but yeah, yeah he's, he's got a, Really cool guy. I actually haven't
1: read any of his others yet, but I think that'll probably be where I go next. Is to I'm sort of feeling um, now that now that we've come out of our little sort of dark year that we had, and now things are sort of I feel like I feel like there's now we're back on the right track again. Um, I'm feeling and and because I had a nice break over Christmas. I'm, I'm sort of there yeah, feeling more open now to, to new stuff. So yeah, maybe this year I will pick up a couple more books and maybe I'll start with his stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it's just, yeah, I really like it. I usually listen to it on audible. Um, I really liked it on there. And I think in the audible, he actually does a bit of an interview with Seth Godin as well. So you're getting like this extra input. So it's got an yeah. extra layer, uh, do of you learning you absorb
1: audiobooks, Jade. I, I'm my head. Just, I just go off on another planet somewhere. I don't even absorb it. Like, do Yeah. You,
0: so. I love Audible um, for I when I don't have time to sit and read, and I really struggle sometimes with reading. Maybe it's a bit of dyslexia or something. Staying still, um, so I, and I, but I do love it. I want I need to be in the zone, and I need to make my environment. And you know, if I can get in my egg chair and glass of wine and get into it, then I'm I'm good. Um, what I find with the Audible though, it allows me to consume a lot, pick out my nuggets. I have to come back to it, but then I would, if it's something that I'm really interested in, then I grab the actual physical book.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Cause yeah, I've, I've even thought about getting the underwater headphones and like, yeah, you can go for a surf and listen to some podcast or something, but
0: stop it. that's a product I wanted to develop, but I haven't found any headphones that you can actually surf in yet.
1: I think, no, no, I think I did see some, I can't remember where it was. It was You have
0: to, like a you have to tra- wear a stupid um, swimming cap to keep the earphones in at the, at oh, the moment really and, a, and a battery pack, which they use them for swimming. But like, this was a whole thing. I'm like, oh, imagine you could surf and listen to a podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah. The only thing with that is, is I've, I, over the this last few years, for me, this surfing is the sort of. That's my like little soul time it's my
0: meditation.
1: Yeah. It's meditation. It's so the last thing I want is some guy telling me. Yeah. New like, that is the,
0: that is the only reason I abandoned the idea of developing this product because I was like, actually surfing is my meditation and it's yeah. my quiet. Like if I interrupt that again with more, like, I mean, I get up, I have a shower while I'm having a shower. I've got a podcast or an audio book going. I do the housework doing that. I then jump in the car, plug it in. It keeps going. Like it's just nonstop import.
1: Yeah. You're on with that stuff. Yeah. You've been yeah, doing that yeah. for years. I remember back when like I came, when we were having parties at your house in Sydney, 10 years ago, you were like playing podcasts while you get ready for work. You've been in that for years.
0: And another, another thing I have to thank you for. You were my, you were the very first podcast I was ever on.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. My, my one that I did. Yeah. A few years.
0: A yeah, yeah. Rocks with Dan Carlin
1: rocks yeah yeah it's um it's one of those things that I actually in a past life my sort of first I guess job was I was trained as an audio engineer so I kind of have a audio background and I still love sound systems I, I'm, I like audio and um, I loved doing the podcast so what you're doing right now I think's awesome and yeah, I've gotten so much value out of podcasts myself, but also just love the process of doing the podcast, talking to people, editing, putting it out there. But unfortunately, I started mine the same time we started this invigorated water business and this business just took off so much. So I just didn't have the time. But I would like you, yeah, I I'm yeah, I'm, I'm envious in some way. I'd love to get back to it at some point. So I definitely wish you all the best for this one.
0: Thank you, thank you. I, well, because I love them so much. And back then I was talking to you about doing it. I've had 10 different... Plans of what my what my podcast would be, and I have all these different ones I want to do. And then I was like, "What do I love most? Surfing and business. What do I want to do more of? Surfing and business. Fuck it, I'll make a podcast about surfing and business."
1: Well, yeah, we can talk about it later. But there's no shortage of I've got quite a few surf buddies around here. That are, there's so many guys that you see here in Bali that are so, such unassuming, dishevelled-looking characters that I see at six in the morning in the water that have some amazing businesses in so many different spaces and really interesting guys. So probably great people for you to put on this shirts. I
0: would love that. I would love that. I um, I actually just bought a brand new van last week and I'm fitting it out, like spending like nearly 30 grand fitness thing out to turn it into my mobile podcasting studio slash office that I'm going to run up and down the coast to work out of each day and really like build this and build a community around it. Like do barrels business and beers like come down to the beach hang out do a live cast have some beers up level that 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 what we talked about with the being around other business owners is doing what you want to do so i want to i want to bring that to bali too when i'm there
1: that sounds absolutely awesome i saw something on it i was watching like an old episode of west coast customs
0: (laughs) how much do you love west coast customs
1: (laughs) and and on it it was they did a jack daniels van Mm -hmm. and it Basically, a Jack Daniels van to help promote Jack Daniels Honey and what they were doing. It was called something like something to do with the beats or hip hop, and, and it was basically a way of finding hip hop talent all around the US. So it was Jack Daniels' sort of initiative, but yeah. it's kind of like what you were saying there. And it was really cool. Yeah. They had this band that would go to different locations and they'd have people up on stage singing and the crowd that would gather around. And so, yeah, that's, that's cool. That's cool. If you yeah. can have a surf community that also talking about how to make money so they can do more surfing. That's perfect. Yep.
0: Yeah. And just build that, just build that community. So yeah. I'm hoping when I'm in Bali, um, March, April, just to do some local gatherings of barrels, business and beers. So barrels, business and bintangs.
1: <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Now count me in. I'll be in for those.
0: <laughs> that would be epic. Um, okay. So we probably should start to wrap um, yeah. just a couple of quick, quick fires at you. What would be, your like best travel tip for a surfer that also needs to do business on the road.
1: Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. Um, Surfer that needs to do business on the road. If you can get your own internet access. So for example, here in Indonesia, um, if you come over here, you'd be better off getting a good couple of SIM cards, two different service providers, Mm -hmm. both of them in your phone. If you've got dual SIM, if not, have put one in at a time. And generally you can then travel most places around Indonesia using your own internet because yep. the internet you'll get in a little guest house in, for example, Sambau will be absolutely hit because it's yep. shared with people plus all the staff that work at the guest house. Whereas if you can have your own little one, that works really well. And what Monica and I do as well when we travel is we have a we rather than using your phone hotspot. yeah hey, yeah, that's That's shit. what I was <laughs>
0: reaching for. <laughs>
1: that's better than the one we had, but something like that which is that so does that basically that's your wi-fi this but is, it also yeah,
0: yeah this and, is the skyroam so the Skyroom actually doesn't need a sim card in most places and yeah. you can pay to load it but you can also insert a local sim so i run everything here on my 4g because it's better than australian internet and it overrides it while i've got the sim in and runs the 4g so i'll bring this to bali buy a sim like you said and i'll have one one provider in this and then another provider in my phone yeah yeah and then yeah but the wi-fi on this and i can connect five devices
1: i'm going so to the talk barrels you.
0: bus will run off this
1: okay i'm going to talk to you about that later because mon and i want something for our upcoming europe trip the one we had's gotten a bit dated so we need something new and you're always yeah. up on that. so that's one the only other one that i'd probably say is having a um having a vpn so virtual private yeah. network I think it's called which for an e-commerce business is really important. So what happens here in Indonesia or anywhere else in the world, if I'm here and I go to Amazon.com, the American Amazon, and I search for one of our products, Alkaline Water Filter, for example, um, it, won't, it will show me the results based on me being in Indonesia. So only certain products will show up because they're the only ones that ship yeah. here. So if I'm looking to sort of check my rankings or all that sort of stuff, or even something more simple like watch Netflix, um, you need a way of accessing Vino. that. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Vimeo is the other one. Yeah. And so basically, yeah, doing, doing that sort of surf travel or any travel really, um, having your own internet and then a VPN connection just yeah. so that you don't have to go to a cafe and say, Oh, can I use your wifi? You just want to be independent. Yeah. You just want to set up. doesn't cost that much. And then just, yeah. you know, and probably the other one is just, I, I renew my computer every two years just cause I, you know, you want the battery life to be good. You don't want it to be stuffing up when you go away. And I always have a backup computer. So, and I have got two old MacBooks that sit there charged, ready to go just in case our new one stuffs up.
0: Yeah. I was literally, I was about to sell. I've got a MacBook that I had signed by Gary Vee. And I was like, I don't need this old MacBook Air. I'll just sell it. And it's got Gary Vee's signature on it. That'll sell. And then I was like, shit. Last time I was running a conference, battery went down. Like, it was so handy to have. I'm like, nah. But yeah couple of hundred
1: bucks just keep it yeah even if it's that extra two kilos in your suitcase like mon and i basically travel with them now like i had a bad experience a couple of years ago where my macbook just decided to the keypad or something decided to mess up and i was in norway and it was like two weeks to get the part and then they had to replace the whole thing what they call the top case which is including the keyboard and it came back and it was the norwegian one so i had all the norwegian characters and the space oh. box And so then I had to get them to get a different part. And it's a nightmare when that shit happens. Oh my God. Um, yeah. yeah, Especially if you're somewhere surf travel, like if you're in the mental islands, forget it. If if it goes, you're gone. So it'll take two, you know, if you're going to carry six boards, what's an extra MacBook? you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just pay the extra, take it with. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So where is your next surf trip going to be?
1: Yeah. Good question. Um, i monica and i really love um the maldives so we've been over a few times uh we went there for our honeymoon on a really decadent one and then we went back another time and i know of two i can't remember the name right now the complicated names of two places in that area where you can have a on one side of the resort perfect lagoon blue water white sand
0: that's the on
1: Kick-ass reef break. Yeah. So uh, that's probably the next thing is to, um, not so much last the last couple of trips I did solo missions and that, but now I've got the little guy and Monica and we probably go as little family holiday to somewhere where they can still, you know, enjoy it. And I can still get some waves in because for me, you know, I love my surfing, but it's, it's not the be all and end all. I'm, I'm happier for it to be part of what we do. And because I'm lucky enough to live in Bali and I surf most days, um, yeah, I'm not that hungry for it. You know, I kind of, I get, I get my feel basically. But yeah, yeah th- you're
0: not jonesing for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think Maldives is probably the place, and then here in Indonesia, there's still so many places. Like I haven't, I haven't really even been over even into Java yet. There's other places in Sumatra. There's still, there's so many places just around Indonesia. So th- that's probably, probably here over the next couple of years.
0: Well, I, I hear I went to Jakarta to um, speak at a. Um, a charity there, and they were like, "Oh, you should have bought your boards across because apparently there's like this place down there that's like G-Land that you you have to go down on this sketchy little scooter and everything, and it's like hidden right down the bottom. It's hardly got any tourists, and it's just
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So yeah, there's so many hidden gems, right?
1: Yeah, you just need the time. It's just it's just making the time to just making go. On the time and... we yeah. probably will. Like we've got big plans this year with building a house, but once that's out of the way, we'll probably get wait yeah. for that house. Yeah, me too. You'll meet both.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Epic. Okay. So what's the best way for people to find out more about invigorated water yeah. and to, to follow your journey?
1: Yeah. Oh, look, the easiest place is our website. So invigoratedwater.com. Um, that's probably the easiest place. Um, gosh, if you wanted to contact me, you can do it through this. Just, just submit a support ticket you know, we're a small team and if tell me, tell me what you're about and I'll get back to you if you, if you like. But um, if that's, if people do want to reach out, but um, yeah, it's probably the easiest way. I'm probably not like a lot of people on your show that are, either doing programs like I do some speaking gigs and stuff. I get asked to come and do some things, which is really nice. And I really enjoy talking about business and I love working with entrepreneurs and things. So um, I'm open to that kind of stuff But yeah, as far as uh, I'm not really pushing that stuff too busy with the business.
0: Well, one thing I do hope to do with this show is to get more people like you. It's not about getting people on to showcase their, their coaching and their course and their everything. Although we will bring people that are going to be able to add value like that. I think it's more about real business owners that have done real business that are in it right now that can share their in the trenches stories to help people to, to scale and to live the life of their dreams.
1: Yeah, no, it's perfect. And that's the kind of show that I'd definitely be interested in watching as well because, yeah, you know, you just – you want the real stuff. You want people to be candid. You want people that are going to just share and be open. And I hope everyone feels like that today. You know, I kind of, I'm always pretty open book with, with my life and business. And so, yeah, I hope, I hope lots more people want to come on and do the same thing.
0: Yeah, I do too. I, I'm really appreciative. We could literally talk for hours. Like we, we've done a whole startup grind thing together where we covered other things. There's so much value in you, Dan, and we may even do a follow-up episode at another stage. I'd love to do something with Mon. Um, and see, like, maybe delve into a little bit more of that couple dynamic, uh, the, sure. the co-founder dynamic and, and the product pathway side of things as well. But I just want to say I am just so grateful for, A, having you as an amazing friend, uh, for, for getting me into my podcast career, for getting me back on a board, <laughs> and more really? importantly,
1: yeah, for
0: today. Hey there, Barrel Chasing Business Owners. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. What would be amazing and allow us to reach as many business owners just like you would be if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you feel like you got any entertainment or any value added today, if you could pop on over, that would mean the world to us. See you on the next show.